Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 271 of the Box Hard Podcast. This is the 2020 Christmas special edition of the Box Hard Podcast. So first and foremost... Merry Christmas to everyone that's listening. It's going to be a very special show. It's going to perhaps have that festive feeling that we aim to deliver. Um, Obviously, it's going to be myself and Eddie Chambers. We're going to go through the review part of the show. There's going to be, uh, you know, a little bit to review, of course. It was a big week of boxing, the weekend just gone. But then we're going to... We're going to mellow it out. We're going to we're gonna go nice and easy into the big interview. Of course, I did say last week it's with British Boxing Royalty. And that man, of course, is the Dark Destroyer, Mr. Nigel Ben. But before we get into all of that, it is, of course, time to welcome my co-host, the man that, you know, we're like two peas in a pod. We make this show what it is. Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers, how are you, my man? Merry Christmas, too. And Merry Christmas to you too, Joe. I'm good, man. How you feeling today? Absolutely over the moon. I'm really, really pleased. Obviously, uh, the the interview with Nigel Ben. I'm really, really looking forward to um, to putting that out. And um, yeah, man, it's it's you know it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to this week's show again. For those people that have been sending in on Twitter your pound for pound list, your fighter of the year, your Fight of the year, knockout of the year, upset of the year, prospect of the year, all those kind of things. Thank you all for sending those in. If you haven't sent any lists in already or you're not quite sure what to send in, then DM me on Twitter or just simply send them in to me on Twitter at Box Hard Podcast. That is going to be for next week or next week's show. It's going to be kind of the end of year special, if you like. And we're going to go over all the awards that we have. And it's going to be really good. I know that me, you know, me and Eddie are really looking forward to your pound for pound list. We're going to break them down and analyze your opinions. Everyone that sends something in, it will get read out. You don't have to uh, you know, send in all these lists if you if you don't. You know, if you don't have a fighter of the year, you don't have to do everything. Just send in what you have, and it'll be fun. But anyway, let's move on to the review part of the show. That's where we're going to start this week. We're going to start, actually, at the Allianz Cloud in Milan, um, Lombardia in Italy. Um, one fight to mention over here. Um, Luca Rigoldi, 22-1 and with two draws. He stepped in against Britain's very own Gamal Yafai, who's now 18-1. and it was for the EBU European Super Bantamweight title, a wide win in the end for Gamal Yafai, who of course travelled out there. And like I say, unanimous decision over 12 rounds, really pleased for Gamal Yafai. He's had a couple hiccups, of course, in his pro career. He's now 18-1, and one, like I say. And hopefully a big fight comes for him, you know, because that's a, that's a big belt. It's a proper belt. It's the proper um, European title, so I'm, I'm pleased for that. Uh, moving out now to the fly-by-night rehearsal studios in Redditch, Worcestershire, United Kingdom. This one, of course, was on Channel 5. 
Um, nothing really to mention on the undercard, so let's get straight to the main event. It was for the British light heavyweight title. Shakan Pitters, the undefeated six foot six reigning champion, fourteen and zero. He stepped in against Craig Richards, friend of the show, fifteen and one with a draw. Of course, his one loss, if people have forgotten came to Frank Buglioni in a fight where he was given about four days' notice to move up in weight and fight for the British title in Wales. So he did that. He, you know, he moved up in weight. He he had four days' notice, or, or five days perhaps. It might have even been three days. He jumps in the car, uh, drives over to Wales, and, of course, you know, has a fight against Buglioni, who was in tip-top condition. And, by the way, Craig Richards actually had a fight himself the week before. So it was literally a week uh, after his fight, and um, that's where his loss came from anyway, it came from the Buglioni fight, in which he put up a brave effort, he actually went the distance, which was, you know, in some ways a bit of a moral victory, anyway, enough of that, he stepped in against Shakan Pitters, and I've got to say, I called it, I thought he'd stop him, um, and he did stop him, it was a tremendous fight though, Pitters was down in the fourth round, and then he was down um, from a left hook in the ninth and final round, and I'm going to just run through my analysis of that fight, um, round one, very interesting round, quite an even one, but I think I'd just edge it to Richards, but you know, it was a bit of a jab fest. It wasn't too exciting, to be honest. I liked Richard's jab to the body, which he landed a few times. Round two, another kind of evenish round. Pitters landed some spiteful-looking jabs. Richard's landed a good right hand. Pitters fell short a lot with his own jabs, but when he did land a jab... Um, Craig would usually throw two jabs back at him and he'd also target the body of Pitters, but I wasn't sure they were landing clean. I actually gave that round to Pitters just, so I had it 1-1 one, one after after the first two. Round three, a really good round for Craig Richards. He managed to pin Shakan Pitters on the ropes a couple of times and he landed some heavy-looking right hands to both the head and the body. In the second half of the round, Pitters did have some success, but a lot of, of, of his success or, well, not really success, but a lot of his punches were taken on the gloves of Richards. Round four, tremendous round for Craig Richards. He hurt Shakan Pitters with the right hand, and it staggered him, and then uh, Pitters backed up, and the, the pair traded right hooks, but Richards got there first with his one, and he put Pitters down. I believe that was for the first time in Pitters' career as well. He got back up, and he took some more heavy shots, and he showed an excellent chin, but... Um, yeah, I wanted to see Richards throw a few more combinations because when he got his man hurt and Pitters got back up, he was trying to throw single right hands. He, he wasn't throwing any combinations. I wasn't sure if he perhaps blown his, you know, blown his uh, load a little bit. And, um, you know, Richards was starting to boss it at that point. Obviously, a 10-8 round. Round five, I actually gave to Pitters. Um, again, I wasn't sure if Richards had taken a round off or something, but he had his mouth wide open, and I wasn't sure if he was getting a bit tired. Round six, a much better round for Pitters. Craig was having small moments, but not enough for me. Pitters seemed to have shrugged off any doubts in his mind. The knockdown seemed a long time ago, despite it only being a couple rounds. Richards maybe, like I say, was perhaps tiring. Round seven, I gave that one to Richards. Richards. Um, he started really well. He was able to get back on the front foot and push Pitters back for the first time for a couple rounds. He was letting the right hand go again. And every time he threw it, Pitters didn't take it well. And Pitters had some good success right at the final bell, but not enough for me to give him that round. Round eight, a really close round, very much a jab fest again. I actually edged it to Richards though, uh, but I'd have no problem with someone edging it the other way. There's a there's a chance really of a of a 10-10 round in that one um, in round eight, to be honest. And round Round nine, 
I mean, what can I say? What a left hand. It pretty much came out of nowhere. It was an evenish round, and then Craig landed a great shot that wobbled Pitters, and Pitters pretty much was held up by the ropes, and then Craig went in for the kill and uh, landed a right uppercut, followed by that big left hook, and Shakan Pitters slumped down uh, into the ropes kind of thing. He did amazing to actually get back up before the count had ended, but he was on really shaky legs, and the referee waved it off, and fair enough. Brilliant, brilliant win. Um, I said it. I'm not sure if I said it on the podcast, but I definitely fought it because I backed it myself, you know, with the bookies. Um, it was just a very good price for Craig Richards to win. I think it was about three to one just for him to win. And for the knockout, like I say, it was um, it was seven to one. And for the knockout to take place in the second half of the fight, which it of course did, it was 20 to one. And I backed that in one of my accumulators, but I'll get onto that, um, why that accumulator never came in. Um, it, it was shocking, but anyways, moving on from that card there, like I say, that was in Redditch, moving out now to the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida, USA, um, let's start with the undercard, Ali Akhmadov, he was 16-0, and an undefeated prospect signed to Triple G Promotions, he was actually knocked out in the final round against Carlos Gongora, who himself was undefeated 18-0, that one, that one was for the vacant IBO World Super Middleweight title, big shock there, um, but you know, Carlos Gongora was a good amateur to be completely honest. Um, hi on Machoy, that's that the lady that Matchroom have signed. She managed to get a win. She's 18 and 0 with a draw. Unanimous decision over 10 2 minute rounds. A defense there of her WBA female super featherweight world title. Her opponent came in overweight though. Seems like that's happening a lot in women's fights recently, unfortunately. Uh, John Ryder, he was on last week's show. He was able to beat Mike Guy um, in the type of fashion that I expected, really. Mike Guy is a very tough guy. Um, it was a 10-round unanimous decision for Ryder. He pretty much pitched a shutout. Um, and yeah, he's now 29-5. and five. Um, It wasn't the statement I think he wanted to make. You know, it was quite frustrating. Obviously, he said that um, he deserves a bigger fight. And I think his 2021 will be a big one. Um, but yeah, unanimous decision over 10 rounds. And of course, the main event, Gennady Golovkin, now 41-1 with a draw. A win for him against Camille Serrameta, who is now 21-1. and one. Um, He was... It's gone down as a retirement after seven rounds, but it was actually the referee that stopped the fight in between rounds. Um, Serrameta was down in the first round, the second round, the fourth round, and the seventh round. Um, yeah, I mean, in the first round, he was down with the final punch of, of, of the, the first round. It was like a looping left hook from Golovkin. And when he was down again late in the second, it was a right hand to the temple of Serrameta. Um Triple G, like I said on last week's show, I think. No, I didn't. I, I tweeted it. He looked like he was in phenomenal shape at the weigh-in. Perhaps the best shape I'm, I've ever seen him in. Um, his jab was incredible in this fight here. He was stepping with the jab. It's so hard and accurate. He landed some disgusting body shots too on Serrameta, who to his credit somehow took him. And like I say, he was down again in the fourth. It was a left uppercut. And then he was down from a jab finally in the seventh. He pretty much had the fight beaten out of him. And the referee waved it off in between rounds. And he was really looking out for Serrameta's health. Um, again, that was a shame because I thought, well, I actually put a bet on for Golovkin to get the knockout within the first six rounds, but of course it happened at the end of round seven, so that, that um, messed me up on, on one bet, which was separate from this crazy accumulator that seemed to go really wrong. 
moving out now to the Galveston Island Convention Center in Galveston, Texas, USA. Over here, heavyweight Michael Hunter, friend of the show, now 19-1 and with a draw. A KO for him in four rounds against Sean... Uh, Sean... Lahari, I think his name is. He's now 10 and 4. He'd never been stopped. I think he was down in the first and then down uh, in that fourth and final round. And in the end, um, if I'm not mistaken, he kind of just took a knee and stayed down for the rest of the count. He didn't really fancy it. But the main event for that for that card there, um, it was also the guy promoting the show, Gilberto Ramirez. He's now 41 and 0. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's got the longest undefeated streak or the longest win streak in professional boxing. A TKO in the 10th round against Alfonso Lopez, who's now 32-4. and four. It was for the NABF light heavyweight title. Um, Gilberto Ramirez, man, he needs a big fight as well. I'm not quite sure what he's doing. It's been a weird kind of move since he's moved up to 175. But his opponent, Alfonso Lopez, I mean, he's been around a long time. One of his losses, he's only he only had three losses going into that fight. One of them came to Kelly Pavlik, so it goes to show how long he's been around. Wow. Um, yeah. Moving out now to the makeshift arena in Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Ilunga Makabu, he defended successfully his WBC Cruiserweight World title with a KO in the seventh round against Olin Roaju Duradola, who's now 34-8. and eight. And Makabu, that's his 30th pro fight. He's now 28-2. and two. The hard-hitting South African marches on. Sorry, not South African, forgive me. Uh, the, the hard-hitting uh, Congolese fighter marches on. Uh, moving out now to the Universum Gym in Hamburg, Germany. It was a successful comeback for former world champion Felix Sturm. Four years out the ring, he was back. A unanimous decision by shutout over 10 rounds against the previously undefeated 10-0 with two draws, Timo Rost. And Felix Sturm now 41-5 and with three draws. Um, there was a fight that took place in... Spain, I think we should go there now. Sergio Martinez with the win, a ninth round TKO against Jussi Cavoila, who I think Conor Ben knocked out in about two rounds last year. Um, so yeah, Sergio Martinez now 53 and 3 with two draws. Cavoila 24 and 8 with a draw. Sergio Garcia on the undercard as well. I think it was supposed to be a defense of his EBU European title, but seems like he didn't defend that in the end. Maybe it was a late replacement. He's now 33 and 0. He got a win in the sixth round against Gregory Trennell by TKO there. Trennell now 12 and 6 with two draws. Um, and yeah, I've been flying through that as quick as possible. Let's move now to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. Over here, this is a card that you saw more of than me, Eddie, so I'm going to come to you in just a minute, but I'm going to start with the main event. Emmanuel Rodriguez, okay. it was for the interim WBC World Bantamweight title. He was supposed to be taking on Nonito Donaire. COVID defeated Donaire, so he couldn't fight. In step the late replacement Filipino, Raymart Gabayo, 23-0, I think about 20 KOs, quite heavy-handed. Don't think he had a deep amateur career. Don't think he'd really boxed anyone too great as a pro. And this is where my accumulator completely went wrong. Because I put, I think it was £5 on um, Gamal Yafai to win, which of course he did on Thursday night. Uh, the other one was a win for Emmanuel Rodriguez. The other one was for Canelo to beat Callum Smith on points, which of course happened. And that other one, the fourth one... Um, 
Craig Richards to win. So Craig Richards won, Gamal Yafai won, Canelo was able to beat um, Callum Smith by you know, by on, on points, by decision. Emmanuel Rodriguez needed to beat Raymark Gabayo, a late replacement, um, and that would have paid me out £128. So I was thinking, oh man, um, I'm watching the Rodriguez fight. He wins pretty much every round. The commentators on Showtime gave him every single round. They didn't even give Gabayo one single round out of the 12 rounds. And unbelievably, it ends in a split decision. So I'm thinking, what? And then they say, one judge for Rodriguez, one judge for Gabayo, and the third judge for Caballo. So they totally robbed Emmanuel Rodriguez. And then, of course, um, they robbed me. <laughs> but I can, I can only feel for Rodriguez. You know, he hasn't had it easy. He's had a lot of big fights. And he should be, right now, the interim WBC bantamweight world champion. Um, there needs to be a rematch. He needs to perhaps petition against that or do something. I mean, it needs to be reviewed. It was shocking. But anyway, moving on to the undercard, this is where I'm going to come to you, Eddie. Um, what did we have? What did we have? Jaron Ennis. He was looking to move to 27-0. and 0. It ended very quickly, though. It was for the vacant IBO World Welterweight title. A no contest after Chris Van Heerden and Jaron Ennis clashed heads. Um, I was looking forward to the fight in some ways because Hearden had only been stopped the one time and it was late on in a fight to Errol Spence. So if Ennis could take him out early, it would have been very exciting. But we didn't get to see enough of it. And I saw a little clip of, of, um, well, basically, Hearden kind of uh, looking at the floor, I guess, and just a pool of blood on the floor. It was disgusting from what I could see Mm. in that angle. Uh Tell me more. Yeah, that, that was exactly what happened. You could see in this immediately when it happened, like the guy never picked his head back up. Like it was, it was, uh, it was, you knew it was bad, but at first we, like you didn't see any blood. Like I didn't see any blood or anything right away. You know, I was just looking and I wanted to see whether or not Boots's face had any damage. And I really didn't see much if there was, I mean, I probably had, I think he had a little knot, but it wasn't really any cut or anything major. So I was thinking, oh, they might've got lucky flashback to him and looked at him and he was still leaning over and then you start thinking like i mean this is brief this is a few seconds you know back and forth and you start to think maybe he's trying to put on a little bit but then you see the blood and then you see the gash like you can see down to the white meat that's what we say over here but you can clearly see like that that thing was bad and immediately they they just they cut it off the fight was over it was like nah. but as for how the fight was working out, it was looking like he was going to stop him within the next round or so. Because okay. he was, there was, I just, the amount of volume with the speed and the skill that he was showing and just the ability to land shots pretty constant on this guy. It was, it was just, it was, it was going to be too, it was just too much. You could see, and he hurt him a couple of times already. And the, the fight was definitely going to be, he was going to get stopped. He's gonna get stopped within a round or two, and I I believe that I'm 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 a hundred percent confident in that it's just it's so unfortunate and you know it goes to a no contest but it's 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 kind of bad for you know I mean obviously the, the guy with the cut you know suffered but it's got to be bad for Boots because you know this is another way for him to prove this is the guy he was in there with Errol Spence and he went long rounds with him and he wanted to prove that he was you know in that same category and he was gonna beat him worse. 
but he didn't get the opportunity because the cut happened and then it just shuts everything down. You know what I mean? And that's it's so unfortunate for both guys, but I think it's more unfortunate for uh, Boots than it is for the other for the other guy because the other guy saved he got saved in a sense that he wasn't going to get his butt whipped for another few rounds, didn't get didn't get carried out. You know what I'm saying? So it's good for him in that way, but for 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 uh, Jerron Ennis, it was just it was rough. It's rough because, you know, all that momentum, all that training, all that work done. I mean, for both guys, but all that work done to get there and you're expecting to go in there and be able to perform and win. All of a sudden, something like that happens. It just throws everything off. And I believe it was the fight right before that where another uh, another head clash came into play. Gary Antonio Russell, 17-0 and with 12 KOs. He was in there against Juan Carlos Payano. I actually said to, um, to Al Bernstein on Twitter during the week, I said that, you know, it's my favorite under the radar fight of the week because of, again, it was, you know, it was a weekend packed with big fights, um, especially in the UK, there was a lot going on. So no one was really talking about that fight, but it was a great stylistic match. Um, Payano was, um, you know, last time out, very, very impressive against Daniel Roman and, it ends in a technical decision over seven rounds. Um, it went to the cards. There was a head clash in round five, I believe it was. And it was stopped in the seventh. And Gary Antonio Russell was ahead on the cards, so he picks up the win. And that's a really good win. I just would have liked to have seen it go the full ten. Um, did you happen to see any of that one? No. All right. That's fine. That's nah, fine. That's fine. I would have. I, 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 because, you know, I, by the time I got to, because, you know, I was going to to my guy Ant's house, you know, I was going to Ant's to watch it. And by the time I got there, because, you know, we were doing some some Christmas things or whatever before I left, and then it was just <laughs> unfortunate that by the time I got there, that fight was over. It was like, you know, lucky enough, I got there at the time that, that Jerron Ennis was going on because I would have missed that one too, you know? Okay. All right. Well, yeah, and also on that card, we had the undefeated prospect, Brandon Lee, he's now 21-0 and with 19 KOs, a TKO in, in, in the third round against Dakota Linga, who's now 12-5 and with two draws. Moving out now, though, to the final card to mention. It took place, of course, at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, USA. Um, I'm going to start with the undercard. Just one fight to mention, the Cuban heavyweight um, Frank Sanchez, a guy that looks... I mean, he says he's 28. He looks about... <sighs> 48 maybe <laughs> anyway he got in there <laughs> he got in there with julian fernandez he stopped him in the seventh round a good win there for frank sanchez i think he's closing in on the top 10 in the world now in, in someone's rankings but the main event let's go there it was for the wba super world super middleweight title and the vacant wbc uh, super middleweight world title, and of course, the ring magazine belt. Saul Canelo Alvarez, the A side of the fight, of course, despite being the challenger. He's now 54 and 1 with two draws. A unanimous decision win over 12 rounds against Callum Smith, who's now 27 and 1. Um, I'm going to go through the fight as quick as I can here, then I'm going to come to you, Eddie, because I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say with, with your analysis. The first round, I thought that Smith started quite well. Uh, the last thing I wanted to see 
was him freezing on the big stage. I didn't want to see him waiting too long for Canelo. He didn't. He landed a variety of shots to both the head and the body. I liked it. I gave him the first round. Canelo just was having a look at that stage, though. It was pretty eventless, in all honesty, in the first. Second round, Canelo round for me. Landed some nice power jabs. Still wasn't able to really put a dent in Smith at that point. It was very early days. Canelo kept trying to land his his long left hook around the guard of Smith. Smith took it on the gloves every time in the second round, though. Uh, round three, a great round for Canelo. He was putting the pressure on Smith. He was managing to close the gap. Smith kept voluntarily going back to the ropes. I didn't like him there. Um, when Smith unloaded, he looked good. Canelo, for me, though, uh, won that round. He he upped the pace as well a little bit. Round four, I didn't think there was much in it, but Canelo, for me, won that round. I liked his early work. I liked Callum's response in the middle part of the round. It was a close one, but for me, a Canelo round. Round five, a really bright start to the round for Callum, uh, but as the round went on, Canelo responded nicely. He started to land some good shots himself, and again, for me, stole the round. Callum's right eye as well was starting to mark up too at that point. Canelo's head movement was on another level. Um, yeah, so he won that one for me. Round six, another Canelo round. He was starting to get some serious momentum. Callum seemed like he was perhaps running out of ideas already. Uh, going into the second half of the fight, at round seven, I actually gave that one to Smith. It was a close one, but I felt like... A sense of urgency slightly kicked in for Callum Smith. He knew he wasn't going to get a win on the cards. He needed to step it up if he had any chance of of getting the knockout. And that's what I think gave him that kick up the backside a bit. Round 8, really close round. Best round of the fight at that point for me. I just edged it to Callum. He was way more active than in recent rounds. Canelo did land a fantastic uppercut though. But Callum took it well. I think it might have been a slight sympathy round maybe. Round 9, Canelo was going to work on Smith. He blooded the nose of Smith. Smith was trying to try his best, really, to fight fire with fire. He was getting tagged way too often. He looked hurt a couple times. In the corner as well, at the end of that ninth round, Joe Gallagher said, I'll give you one more round. He said it in his ear. He kind of whispered it in his ear, but you could hear it on the microphone in the corner. And Callum said, no, Joe, I'm fine. So they sent him out for round 10. Uh, Callum was getting bullied and beaten to the punch. He was trying his best, but only really fighting in spurts. He was trying to almost run away from Canelo at times, and it was becoming a little bit hard to watch. Um, Callum's... uh, you know, his heart obviously couldn't couldn't be questioned. He showed tremendous heart, uh, but the fight was 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 lost for me at that point a few rounds before that. Round 11, another Canelo round, more of the same really. He started to punish uh, Callum Smith. And round 12, Canelo, again, uh, uh, you know, more of the same really. Um, Smith as well kept looking up at the clock several times, just like he wanted to survive. He was very brave. Canelo, of course, was on another level, um, which we all sort of knew. Callum is still one of the best, though, for me at 168. No one knows where Canelo um, is going to be at weight-wise, so the division is still very exciting if he decides to move up to light heavyweight again, if he decides to go back down to middle. I don't know, but... You know, Callum didn't have loads of time to prepare for that. It doesn't matter. I think if he had four years to prepare, he probably still wouldn't have been able to do too much more than the four weeks he had to prepare. But, um, yeah, it was what it was. Great win for Canelo. Um, Canelo, you know, he just looks so solid. He's such a fluent boxer. His defense is unbelievable. His head movement is is just it's just crazy. He's like a machine. Um, and yeah, he's, he's so strong. He's like a tank. But anyway, that's my analysis of that one, Eddie. Um, it's the final fight, obviously. What was your take from Smith's efforts and, of course, Canelo's uh, dominant performance?
I'm, I take my hat off to, to Smith. I thought Callen did a good job in doing what he could, and he was actually trying to be competitive early on. He was really trying. He was really trying to stay focused on the game plan. He was still trying. He was he was trying to reach in with the jab. He was trying to get behind it and maybe throw some combinations off it. And another thing that he was really trying to do when he was getting approached with heavy con- with heavy shots from Canelo, he would try to rapidly fire back. Not you know, ridiculously too fast, like trying to just, you know, get him, get even, but to try to keep pace with his pace, you know what I mean? And actually sometimes up it because of, you know, the chances of him, uh, you know, like I guess outboxing Canelo would be kind of slim, even though he's a tall rangy guy. Canelo's really slick. Callum has never been accused of being super fast. So it would be difficult for him to reach. I mean, if you, the thing that I noticed about Canelo is that, you know, he goes up into these weight classes. Like when you're looking at 175, you're looking at now 168. And, you know, most people are like, that's kind of dangerously high for a guy of Canelo's size to be going up there. But when you look at his strengths and what he does as a fighter with his head movement and how difficult it is to land on him, it really doesn't really like for me as a person, if I was a, if I was a supporter of him, him going up and weight wouldn't really wouldn't really bother me much because it's going to be very difficult for guys, even though they're taller, to put their hands on them consistently. You understand what I'm saying? But that's the thing that I want to give Calvin credit for is that he was able at times to get his hands on him. Even though it's difficult to land consistently, he still was able to put his hands on him, and his timing was pretty good early on. It's just that consistent beatdown as the fight wore on Canelo to the body and the jab, the jab was really, really sharp coming from Canelo. And it was one of the things that Callum Smith had in the interview after. He was really surprised how good his jab was. But everything else, he was pretty pretty sure that he was going to be like anyway. He just thought that his style and his ability would have been able to match up well with it. But Canelo, he, Canelo proved he's a pound-for-pound pound great right now. You know what I mean? He, he really showed the class that he's in. You know, And I still, regardless of how the fight ended up and whether Callum was getting beat or you know, and, and just the way he performed toward the end of the fight, I still think he's going to be live in there with anyone else, like at that weight or even maybe, the, you know, 175, maybe a little bit a little bit higher. He's really a quality fighter, big rangy guy, can punch, can box. You know what I mean? He's, he, he's, he's definitely quality and definitely class. Yeah, absolutely. And that really wraps up the review part of the show. Um, just before we kind of... I mean, really and truly, there's not too much to go over now. Just a piece of, a couple pieces of news that I'm going to bring in. Um, On February the 13th, which is a Saturday, it's going to be at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, USA. Two fights have been announced. It's going to be on the zone. This one's for the IBF uh, Super Featherweight World Title. Joseph Jojo Diaz, 31-1. and He takes on Shavkat Zon Rakimov, who's 15-0. and And also on that card, Patrick Texera, 31-1. and He defends his WBO World Super Welterweight title against Brian Castaño, who, of course, um, you know, was, was able to become a world champion in 2018. He had that close fight with Eris Landy Lara, and I'm not sure what happened. He he lost the belt without actually losing it in the ring, and he's been out for quite a while. So I'm not sure what's gone on with him, but he's back. It's good to see him back. Um, in other news, on January the 30th, for the IBF Super Middleweight World title, 
It's Caleb versus Caleb. We've got, of course, Caleb Plant defending the world title against former holder of the exact same belt, Caleb Truax. All the best to both the Calebs there. I tell you who's going to win. Caleb is going to win that that fight there. I'm sure <laughs> of that. Um, best of luck to both men. Caleb Truex is a great guy, and Caleb Plant. Uh, you can't help but feel for him. Obviously, his his situation outside of the ring, losing his daughter and stuff like that, is just horrific. The worst thing in the world. So I'm, you know, automatically drawn to him. Um, and in other news, we finally get to see it. It's on for about the third or fourth time. Josh Kelly will challenge David Avanesian for the EBU European welterweight title. That's going to be Saturday, January the 30th. No venue just yet. It's going to get confirmed soon. It's going to be on Sky Sports in the UK and DAZN in the US. Uh, in other news, we get to see the Juan Francisco Estrada versus Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez rematch. That's going to be taking place on March the 13th. It's going to be for the um, it's a unif- it's a unification fight, of course, for the WBC, WBA and Ring Magazine Super Flyweight World Titles. That's Saturday, March the 13th on the Zone, And I think that's about it for the news, I believe. Um, so, yeah. That's it for the news. We did the review part. Um, I'm going to let you off the quiz question, Eddie, because um, it's Christmas, and I don't want to give you an L right on the week of Christmas. So I'm sure you'll be, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be pleased with that. But um, yeah, that's that's it. Like I say, we've done the reviewing. Nothing to preview, of course. Um, we've done the news just there. No quiz question for Eddie. It's Christmas. It's time to be nice. It's a time to be giving, not taking. And I don't want him taking any L's. So um, that's it. And, of course, I'm going to come in uh, very shortly with the huge interview with Nigel Ben, which is just, honestly, uh, it's, it's, it's brilliant. So stay tuned for that. And, of course, next week, remember to send in your lists, your pound-for-pound lists, your, your fighter of the year, all your nominations for all these other awards that we do. And we're going to do those on next week's show. And, of course, there's going to be nothing to review next week because there's nothing to preview this week. But there will be some stuff to preview next week because... That'll be leading into the new year. And, of course, there's the Luke Campbell and Ryan Garcia showdown, which we are all thoroughly looking forward to. But anyway, before we bring in our sole guest, the legend that is the Dark Destroyer, Nigel Ben, it's time to say goodbye to a legend on this show. Eddie, it's um, it's not the final show of the year. I'm sure we'll, we'll be here again this time next week. But so far, you know, you've been a tremendous help this year. And um, the podcast, honestly, wouldn't have been the same without you. I'll be saying this again next week, I'm sure. But um, thanks for all the help. Thanks once again for joining me on this week's show. And above all else, I wish you a, a very Merry Christmas. Man, I appreciate you, man. I Like I said, I, I wouldn't be the same if I wasn't able to be on the show, too. So it's uh, it's one hand washes the other, man. I'm enjoying it, and it gives me an opportunity to still talk. You know how much I like to do that. So so this is uh this is a great thing for me and I'm I'm really enjoying it and also having you as a, a real close friend, man. I really appreciate it all. I appreciate you too, my friend. Thank you, Eddie. Right, that is it. That's enough of us. It's now time for the man, the myth, the legend, the very much legend. It is of course Mr. Nigel Ben. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man who really is one of the most legendary fighters in British boxing history, the former WBO and WBC super middleweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Nigel Ben. Nigel, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm fine, buddy. How are you? Very well. Very well. Over the moon to be speaking with you. 
And um, yeah, I don't normally get nervous before interviews, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit nervous, man. I'm speaking to royalty in British boxing here. <laughs> I'm just a street boy, Joey. That's all I am, buddy. I'm just a street boy that's done good. That's all I am, mate. <laughs> no royalty or nothing, mate. I don't, I don't, wouldn't ever use that title at all, mate. I'm just like you until I step in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> so Nigel, let me let me start with this. First things first, my typical kind of opening question in these types of interviews. Where did the journey all begin for you? What's your earliest memory? When did you first put on a pair of gloves in boxing? Um, oh, uh, Gascoigne State. I had a boxing club in Barking, in Barking in, in Essex, and um, I started there. I started. Um, well, that was I was about twelve. And I got dropped about six times by my brother. And then I stopped boxing and then I started doing martial arts. Martial arts is what I really loved. Back in back in the seventies, back in seventy six, I loved martial arts. So I really just stuck with martial arts for oh until I joined the army when I was seventeen. Wow. Okay. So martial art martial arts was my thing. What I really loved. Okay. Okay, and obviously when you you know you say you went to the army after that you you know you embark on an amateur career. Forty two fights you had as an amateur. Forty one and one was your record. The one loss to Rod Douglas, which of course you went on to avenge. Yeah. Um, what was your highlight moment of the amateur of the amateur game, Nigel? I would say um, winning the ABAs, really. Yeah. Winning the ABAs, I think it was the highlight. But I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't really, I didn't really business with it. The amateurs it weren't really my thing. There was a lot, a lot of political correctness going on back in there. You know, you you have a face fit or or it, or it doesn't, and I ain't really got time for that. That's what it was like. Yeah. You had you had people like the Road Douglas. You had like you know John Lyons and all that. Yeah. Um, is it Kevin Hickey? He had he set people who he wanted in the team and all that. You know, so I wasn't really an amateur man. I wasn't really. I just like I just had to go through. A season of being an amateur to turn pro, really. Yeah. Didn't really, amateurs weren't really me. Yeah. Didn't really enjoy it at all, to tell you the truth, <laughs> being honest with you. No, that's... It wasn't me because I was, I was just rough and ready. I think, you know what it was? It was, Joe, I think it was like coming from the army, I had a lot of rules and regulations which, which I abide by, and I wasn't going to come out and have all these, these idiots telling me what to do. I just, I was really sick of it. You know, you know what I mean? It's not like I, following rules and all that. It's just like, you know, they, they had their favouritism, so like, I, I wasn't really interested in the amateurs, really. I was really just wanting to just go out there and earn some money, to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was really was. It wasn't like, you know, going home having about 100 plastic trophies all in there, and I thought, they don't pay the rent, mate. <laughs> they don't pay the rent. Uh, you know, it's not having all these trophies. It just, just wasn't me having... I had, my, my dad, my, it's so funny, God rest his soul, my dad really... I remember when I won the ABA title. My ABA title was like in in in, in like my dad's garage. I, I wasn't really interested, but then I, I I pulled it out. Now now that I've retired, I think oh mate, look at the ABA title. It's all like all rusty and all that, but I'm gonna shine it. And I don't know, I'm gonna put it on eBay and sell it just for somebody, not for me. I just give the money to charity. It's just like you know, it, someone someone's got a bit of memorabilia of me. That's it with my ABA title. But it's not for, uh, you know, things like that don't really bother me whatsoever. Wow. I am what I am. <laughs> things like even my world title belts I sold in for charity doesn't bother me. Why Why is that? Because I know who I am. I don't need a piece of 
or whatever to say. If I can go and uh, uh, donate to my memorabilia for charity to help people that are, uh, 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 who uh, who need wheelchairs or who are uh, uh, going through crises in life, and that's what means to me, selling my trophies, so be it. At least I've done good with it. No, that's very... Because very I still know who I am. I know, I know people, like when I've got 150,000 for my... my uh, 120,000, I think, for my WBC and about 60,000 for my, for my, um, for the Caldwell cause, you know, raise a lot of money for charity. And that was it, really. Oh, good but on you. But it don't, you know, people say, how oh, could you do that? How oh, could you sell these things? Oh, you know? Someone wanted them, so they sold them, then the money went to charity. Oh, that's classy, man. That's charitable. But let's get on to your pro career, Nigel. You, you turned pro yeah. on, on January 28th, 1987 at Fairfield Halls in Croydon. Um, ah, yeah, mate. I'm, I'm a Croydon against boy. Graham Ahmed, against, against Graham Ahmed. <laughs> Graham Ahmed, yeah. that's it. I'm a Croydon boy, so it was right on my doorstep. Oh, are you? Well, I was, I was, in, I was in Beckenham. Okay. Just down the road from you. Yeah, that's literally, yeah. That's, yeah, that's where my girlfriend lives. Yeah. So, uh, the, the, the next stop. There we go. <laughs> So, um, yeah. yeah, you become the quickest man to ever stop him. Uh, what do you recall of your debut? Do you remember being nervous at all before walking out? Uh, yeah, cool. I was nervous for every fight, Joey. Every single fight I was nervous, mate. It's not a fight that I went in there that I wasn't nervous. When I didn't win in there and, and wasn't nervous, I got beat. That was the first one when I fought Michael Watson. I was nervous, nervous. Yeah. And, you know, you were very active, obviously, in your first year. You know, you had... 12 yeah. fights in the first calendar year uh, winning and, oh no can you believe that <laughs> it doesn't happen <laughs> these days does it <laughs> no it doesn't oh my I'll be going crazy we're having one, one fight every six months or so oh my gosh I'll be pulling out my hair <laughs> but yeah you won all 12 by KO uh, if we skip forward to, to April 20th 1998 you know by this point you're you're 16 and over 16 KOs you box at the uh, the Alexandra Pavilion for the Commonwealth middleweight title against Abdul Sander. Abdul, Abdul Sander, Mora Sander, that's it, Abdul Mora Sander, yeah. yeah I, mean, you be- I think the second round has stopped him. Yeah, you become the first man to stop him in, in two rounds. Do you recall much of that night? Oh, really? Yeah. The- oh, yeah, of course I did, mate. Course, first yeah, major title there, was- first major title. Yeah, basically. <laughs> You know, it was, um, I didn't know I stopped him. I was the first person to stop him. Yeah, you know, I was wild and I was fast and I was angry, mate. And I know I just had some power. I think that was that middle, that was that middle one, yeah. I just knew I just had the power, you know. And I saw him wobble so many times, I was just hitting him. It was just like, I just, I just had a burst of energy in me. I had so much energy, you know, and, uh, and I know how to punch. Yeah. And I want to throw him wobble a couple of times. And I, I know it wasn't going nowhere. I knew, and I was hitting him hard. I know he's been twelve rounds with Tony Simpson and all that, you know. But I just knew I was he, he, he weren't ready for me. He was not ready for me. Yeah, and like I say, yeah, you were the first person to stop him. And after that, you know, he's, he lost every fight after that by KO. But you set the trend. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that, man. I did not know that. There you go. But after that fight, you know, you pick up another five wins on the trot, all, all by stoppage, including defending your Commonwealth title three times. During one of those defenses, by the way, was when you had that that crazy fight against Anthony Logan. Oh man, give yeah. us a couple words on that. That was crazy. Well, you, you know what, with Joe, it, it was like I think you got to watch the fight. Everyone think, oh look, you know, that was a lucky punch. No, you, look at the punch. Watch the fight, right? 
watch me spin around because what happened, he's actually hit me 22 times before I knocked him out. 22 times. If you can't knock me out with 22 punches, you're in trouble, mate, regardless. And what happened, if you've got to watch it, Joe, I threw a right hand, but I'm spinning around, but I'm still looking at him. Now, he's charging at me because he thinks I'm all over the place. And as you watch, I whip my legs, I whip my body around, I twist from my hips really quick. And my, my left hand, because I've, I've gotten the full distance with my right hand, and all I can do now is whip a quick left hook round. Watch it. Watch the fight. And you'll see I'm like bobbing around and then I whip it because what he's done, he's forgot about his guard. He's, and he's coming at me for, yeah, he's got me, but my hand is traveling at supersonic speed. <laughs> my hand is traveling so fast. And he can see this big red glove coming towards his face, but it's like, oh my gosh. I can't stop it. <laughs> it's so funny because I know what was coming. You got Joe. I'm not. You got to watch the fight, and then when you see that shot, then you think, "Oh, now I see." It wasn't a lucky punch. Look how I threw the right hand and I bobbed around and done two steps, and I whipped my left hook, or the, the, the long left hook, right round. And it was by the time it was like he tried to put his hands out, and he thought. Oh, no, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make it, though. It was so funny. <laughs> and even when he put me down, it was like I was saying to everybody when Amber M Mendy picked me up, I was going to everybody, what are you worrying for? What are you worrying for? <laughs> I remember that fight like it was yesterday. Yeah. I remember that fight like it was yesterday. That was crazy. I, I did so actually I got a bit excited, but that, no, that, listen, that's how I felt I, about that I fight. I love your excitement. <laughs> I, I did watch it. I uh, Yeah, I was, I was thinking when I was watching it, I'm seeing him throw these shots. I'm thinking, what's going on here? Then all of a sudden, good night. You know, that was it. Yeah. Well, no, but you've got to see that it wasn't a lucky shot. No, no, it, it wasn't was a lucky shot. shot. No watch it. Watch how I bob around. And then I whip my, my hips, I turn my hips so quick, and that, that, that the punch was coming at speed to him because I threw in the right hand, missed him with the right hand, and he thought, oh, I'm off balance. And then I just whipped this left hook, man, so fast, and he just caught it. And it definitely did, definitely did catch him. Yeah. And like I say, yeah. after winning the Commonwealth title, you pick up uh, those, those five wins, you, you get to 22 and 0 with 22 KOs. That's when we arrive at May 21st of 1989. Uh, you attempt to defend the belt against Michael Watson. You mentioned in Finsbury yeah. Park. This occasion wouldn't be your night, though. You stopped him round six, uh, losing for the first time. Yeah. Tell us about what you remember of that Sunday evening back in 1989, Nigel. Well, I'll be honest with you, Joe. That was another clear fight in my head anyway. That was, that was, I thought to myself, I've had 22 fights, 22 wins, 22 KOs. What can this man do to me? Hmm. And, and being honest with you, nothing that he threw at me hurt me. I just burnt myself out. Michael had, Michael knew how to go through gears. Michael just knew, yeah, after a couple of rounds, they're burning so fast. They all knew what was going to happen. I just, you know, he was hitting me, but I didn't actually feel a thing. It, not a thing whatsoever. It was like when I got back to my corner, it was so funny, Joe. And my trainer was ah, ah, shouting at me, and he's going, yeah, go out now, go out there and steam him. Oh, so I look in the boxing pamphlet, steam him, steam him. Oh, I can't find that in here, mate. What are you talking about, steam him? I thought, what do you think I've been doing for the last five rounds? I threw everything at him except the kitchen sink. <laughs> and you
and you know, and, and Michael just knew what to do, just block the shots, block the shots, block the shots. And I was just so, he just threw a jab at me. That put me down. I was absolutely exhausted because when I got in the ring, I was like on a, a, a half a tank as it is already. <laughs> and by the time round, round five was over, mate, I was on empty. My light was flashing. I had no strength left because everything I threw, I just threw literally everything at him. Yeah. Everything. And after that loss, that's where you, you know, yeah. you decide to travel across the Atlantic. You, you, you experience fighting in, in the United States. How did that come yeah. about? Because obviously, looking back now, it was a, it was a brilliant, clever move at the time. Uh, well, you know what it is, Joe. I just want to see how good. Uh, am I really good, or am I just hype? Mm. Do you understand? And you know, and, 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 and plus, like you know, it, it was you know. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I had to make a change because I wanted to see if I was good or was I just BS, you know what I mean? I didn't want to be one of them, you know what I mean? I want to, and so I went away, cried my eyes out for a long time after the Michael Watson fight. I've got, I've got to find out if I am good. Can I, because I mean, I was struggling to do six rounds. So I thought to myself, how can I do 10 rounds? How can I do 12 rounds? You know, so I thought to myself, I don't want it to America. I'd done my first 10 rounds against Jorge Amparo, oh, and man, this guy was like a bull, man. And I was, I, you know, and I knew for a fact this had been a 10, and I was hitting this guy with some hard shots, and they were just bouncing off his head. I thought, oh my gosh, this is a 10-rounder. But when I'd done a 10-rounder, then I knew I could do 10 rounds. Once I knew, went to America, and I started learning my trade, well, I can't even say learn my trade, really. Just wanted to know that I could do 10 rounds, really. And, and once I'd done that, Joe, I, I was just relaxed. I could, I could do 10. And once I could do 10, I could do 12. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just think that was a brilliant move at the time, obviously, to go out there. You know, mm-hmm. you, you saw out the end of that year, 1989, with two wins. You mentioned against Amparo. Well, do you know what? Sorry, sorry to cut you off, You're Joe. Right. But that is exactly the same thing what Connor's done. Mm-hmm. Connor had to leave his family to move away. And that's exactly what I'd done. I had to move and leave my family to go and secure what I had to do. And that's what Connor's doing right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, mm-hmm. yeah, you mentioned those two wins, like we say, against uh, um, Amparo and Quinones. Quinones. Yeah. He's the one that sparked Errol Christie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, um, yeah, we, we, we get into 1990, a year, obviously, that was really a huge year in your career uh, the year already kind of starts out a little bit rocky if, we, if we're being fair, fair a split decision over 10 in Atlantic City against Sandalin Williams tell us about that Sandalin Williams yeah the, do you know what it was it was uh, it was yeah it was one of kind of um, not my kind of fight you know sometimes you get these kind of men that don't really want to fight they're, they're like you know getting a split decision and these are good fighters they're not you're not rubbish fighters. they're good fighters you know, there's much higher than British British level, you know, and, and um, yeah, and got a split decision. I'll take that. I'll, ta- I'll, I'll take that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because then afterwards it proves like, you know, yeah, I can go and better myself, which I've done. Yeah, definitely. You know, get a split decision. I, and, you know, sometimes you ain't going to always get the fights that you want. The Barclays are dug with, my type of fighters. You know, sometimes you're going to get people that are going to be a bit slippery. Mm-hmm. 
you know and yeah he was slippery you know <laughs> he was he was a bit of a spoiler obviously i mean he had he had yeah. close fights with just about everyone he had a close one with Harold graham a few years before he lost a split decision to iran barkley he had a close fight with frank tate uh you know even oh right he, he's fought, oh he's fought all in yeah, people as well yeah and these were all close ones oh, wow. and he drew with james tony six months after you um so yeah oh really yeah 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 oh wow yeah. um also, I didn't do too, I didn't do too bad. Then. No, exactly. Yeah, he was he was uh, he's a tough guy. No matter who he got in with. Yeah. And here's a fun fact as well for for the listeners. Um, Williams once fought a fighter by the name of Ron Essett, uh, and that one actually ended. Ron, Ron Essett. Yeah, Ron Essett. He, he, the fight ends in a draw after twelve rounds, but both fighters decide to go back out there unpaid for a thirteen for a thirteenth round, and Williams actually oh, really? lost the fight after that. He lost by thirteenth round. Uh, uh, split decision. <laughs> wow, I've never heard. I've never heard of that. That's what I mean. It, it actually was a draw. They announced it as a draw. Everyone was angry. They decided to do a thirteenth round, and he lost because of it. So there we go. Bit of trivia. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> getting back onto your career, Nigel. Um, yeah. If David, if if they'd have given Williams the, the decision that night, would that have scuppered your world title shot in your very next fight? Surely it would have. Oh yeah. Well, you know. The, these are hypothetical things, so you know you can say about most of all, all, all my fights. If I if I had a draw with Jorge Ampar, if I you know, so it, 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 it's hard to really say because you've got to look and say, well, you know, the the right decision was given, the right decision was given, and you know because I went on there and proved myself because straight after that, then it was Doug Dewitt. Yeah. Do, do, do you understand? So it wasn't like you know, well, yeah, because sometimes you can be in. He, he, like you said, I never knew he fought all these people, but, you know, he had, like, all close decisions with James Tony. You know, the draw was like, wow. So, you know, so, so at the end of the day, maybe it was just like, you know, he, he wasn't that kind of exciting, exciting fight. And maybe people just thought, you know what, this, this English guy, let's see where he can go. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think I proved myself in America. I really did. I never lost to a, a Yank. You definitely did prove yourself, mate. And, uh, you know, we mentioned it there. Um, 1990, April 29th in Atlantic City. You challenged the yeah. then WBO middleweight world champion, Doug DeWitt. You cut him in the first round. You were down yourself in the second, trading left hooks. Yeah. You get back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you seen, know what it was? Yeah, Joey, we both actually threw left hook, bang on a target. <laughs> Because he was moving away, but I was moving in. And he actually hit me right on the money. But the difference is, I didn't feel nothing. It was that much. It was too much of a beautiful, beautiful punch. Now, if he hit me up in a temple, you know, you get all dizzy. And you, you know, you lose your equilibrium. But I was all right. He hit me perfect. And I just went down. And I looked at the referee. I remember him looking. And I looked at him and said, yeah, I'm okay. I didn't feel a thing. It was just that it was bang on the money. It was spot on. But it was too perfect, if you understand what I mean. It wasn't one of the punches that you, you get hit and you, you're all fuzzy in the head. I didn't actually feel a thing. And I went down and my legs just went. And I went down and I thought, yeah, and I looked at the referee. And I remember looking and said, yeah, I'm okay. And I got up. Yeah. And then the second round, I bashed the granny out of him. Yeah, the third, <laughs> you put him down in the third, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, then he gets up and then you put him down three times in the eighth and the referee waves it yeah, off. Yeah. Tell us about, you know, you, you talked about the fight a little bit there, but also what it kind of felt like to achieve what I'm sure would have been your childhood dream, even though the WBO at the time was a fairly you know, new sanctioning body. Well, you know what it was? It, it wasn't even... Uh, oh, it was hard to really explain. It was like, uh, I don't know, it was just, 
Because we've got to go back to my beginning of my career, Joey, to really understand. I remember I was saying to myself, yeah, I think I could be Southern Area champion. You know what I mean? Yeah, Southern Area champion. All I want is a three-bedroom terrace house like my dad. That was that was it. And my dad had a Cortina Mark One. I. I said I will have a BMW, well, a bit, bit, just a bit, bit, bit better than my dad. That was that was what I all I wanted. I didn't want nothing much. Do you understand? So so then all of a sudden I become Commonwealth champion, and now I'm WBO champion. So a lot of it didn't really sink in. Because it was like I, I just couldn't get my head, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Do, do you understand? I could not wrap my head around this. Yeah. It was um, it was just like wow, and but nobody recognised. You got to understand the British Boxing Board of Control never recognised the WBO, never. They never recognised the WBO, and now look where the WBO is in England. I was the first one to bring it over, but nobody recognised it. But yeah. Now, now they want their fees, the belt that they didn't recognise, and that's when I tore up the my uh, my my licence. When I think I'm fun and fought Iron Bartley because, like you know, I mean, you don't recognise it, but you still want me to pay the money. So I ripped up my licence and I started fighting under my American licence. But so yeah, anyway, getting back, sorry, just jumped off the off the track a bit. But yeah, winning win the winning the WBO, yeah, it was just like um, I was just over the moon. I really was. It was just hard to just kind of settle down and think that I'm world champion. Wow, world world champion. It was just a great feeling, great feeling that I, I really, I think I got it when I was 20, 26. So yeah, so um, I was just like, I was just so excited. And you know, after beating Doug Dewitt, who I remember Doug Dewitt saying to me, who is he for? I've been in with the best. I've been in with them all. They couldn't hurt me. What can he do to me? That's what he said. And he said to me at the press conference, and at the way, not at the, at the press conference, we had a face-off. He said, you're going down. I said, yeah, I might be going down. You're going down, and you're going to stay down. I remember saying that to him so clearly. I remember that. And I remember everyone saying, like, you know, that um, he takes a good shot. But I mean, I had eight-ounce gloves. What the heck? You're giving me eight-ounce? I can actually feel my knuckles sinking in. I, I could not believe eight ounce gloves I was fighting with, and I can actually every time I threw a punch, if I, my right hand whizzed past him, I would catch him with the left. If I threw the left and it whizzed past him, I'm going to catch him with the right. Watch the shots that were hitting him. They were fast. They might be bold, but they were fast and they were hard. I know you weren't going to last a distance because he's not moving. He saves a lot. Of, he's like a goalkeeper. He saves everything on his face. You know. But no, it was a it was a brilliant, brilliant fight and a brilliant win, of course. And yeah. again, your first defense um, four months later, it takes place in Las Vegas against former WBC middleweight world champion Iran Barkley. Now you managed to score yeah. a knockout in the very first round. You put him down three times. No one ever did that to Iran Barkley in his career before or after that night. And by the end of his career, you know, he'd been in there with the likes of Michael Nunn, Roberto Duran, Tommy Hearns twice, James yeah. Tony, even Trevor Burbick up at heavyweight. Uh, just, oh, wow. yeah. Tell us about that night. There. <laughs> yeah. He was up at heavyweight. You're telling me a lot of things that I never knew. No, that's, that's the aim here. That's the aim. That's I'm pleased. <laughs> wow. I never knew all that. But you know, what I'll be honest with you, Joe, it was like, it was actually an easy fight. I was I was going to have it with him all day long, and I tell you how I knew I had him. 
at the weigh-in. At the weigh-in, Joe, I knew I had him. We have got face-to-face. I hope you can see a picture of it. I hope you, you, you can see it on, uh, on Motelone on the internet. I'll find out. We looked at each other, right? And I, said, I was looking at him to say, well, come on in. You want it? I'll have it right now with you. And I was looking at him really hard. And he looked down at the ground. And I thought, yes. From that, I knew I had him. From that, at the, at the way in, not the way in, uh, the press conference, I knew I had him. He looked down because I got right in his grill. I thought, yeah, I'll have it with you right now. And then afterwards, after he'd done that, the first thing I'd done when I come out, look at the punch. I'd done a hot skip and a jump and then I threw a straight right hand at him. I just knew it. I was not scared of him whatsoever. whatsoever. I didn't have no fear at all whatsoever. I knew he wasn't going to beat me. He's a very clubbing a guy that clubs a lot, you know, he, he's got power, but it, it wasn't like I had I had power and I had speed, and I knew I could hit him because he don't he don't move too good. I just knew, so you get me all excited. <laughs> Listen, these interviews can can can. I've had people want to come back to boxing after some of these interviews. Yeah, yeah. well, not me, mate, not me. <laughs> but um, surely, I mean, that's one of my favourite wins of you, of all your wins, Nigel. I mean, that's got to be one yeah. of your most impressive ones. You say it was easy, but I mean, what a win! No one ever did it to him, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah. To me, it wasn't because I didn't want I didn't want the free knockdown rule. Because I mean, I did that. Actually, I wish I never hit him when he was on the ground, but I was so, so hyped up. You know, I didn't mean to do that, but I was so hyped up. And I didn't want the free knockdown rules because I knew I would have stopped him anyway. I knew I would have stopped, but knock him out. I'm talking about really hurting because it's only so much that you can take because he's, he's a clumping fight. He's not fast. He's, not, he's powerful, but he's not fast. And I could take his shot and I, I can roll with him. He caught me about... Only a couple of shots, but not really shots that really hurt me. Mm. You know, that was such a brilliant win. Like I say, it was just wow. And thank you. And and yeah, obviously, three months after that, you returned to the UK. You boxed the then twenty-four and zero Chris Eubank. Uh, the rivalry goes yeah. down as one of the best, if not the best, in British boxing history. Yeah. The fight takes place yeah, by far. Yeah, the fight takes place in Birmingham. On this occasion, you stopped in in round nine, despite being ahead on two of the three judges' scorecards at the point of the stoppage. Oh, well, well, I wish I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> what a fight, though, man! What a fight! Tell us about. Yeah, that. it was. Wicked it fight. was. It was. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not taking nothing away from Chris because I mean, he, he, his body, his physique was absolutely phenomenal. Out of this world, he had a physique, and it was. I used to say, Lord, how could you give me a body like that? You give him a body like that. Oh man, he was just muscle on top of muscle, and he's. His neck and his jaw was, like, and his head was shaped like a mallet. He was just like, you know, he was just like, he was just a, 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 a ball of muscle. He was just unbelievable, you know, unbelievable, unbelievable physique, mate. Mm. And he's a person I absolutely detest. It was this guy that come, I don't know where he come from. Who is this guy that's giving it all the mouth, talking like the Queen should be in Hove and he should be in Buckingham Palace. A guy that's wearing these droppers and monocles, you know, well, what? who are you? I didn't, you know, it was just, he just knew how to rub me up the wrong way. He just knew how to rub me up the wrong way. And it was so funny, and I thank God that I, Chris was around in my in my career, because I think without him, mate, you know, I don't think I'd be the fighter I was. I, I, I need to have that rivalry and having Chris there, mate, that, that, that was unbelievable. And, and not just... 
what happened a week before the fight, Ambrose put me in a hotel right near, right, right in in Birmingham, in the heart of Birmingham, and um, and I remember I was sitting down eating like grapes, fruit, eating eating all healthy, and I remember getting on the scales in the morning, and I weighed dead on twelve stone, dead on twelve stone, because I weren't training. It was just I was just and I put I put on like six pounds. I had like two hours to lose six pounds. And I remember weighing that 11 stone, five and three quarter pounds. I had to lose that. But that's not taking nothing away because that was just all fluid. That wasn't that wasn't like, you know, that I, I, my weight was perfect really. So, you know what I mean? It wasn't like I'm, I'm using that as an excuse. Chris, Chris deserves to win the fight. I mean, he got me about round three or four. He got a, a thumb in my eye. But that's not, please understand, it's not taking nothing away from Chris because it was each, I mean, he hit me so hard. My, oh, my gosh. And, you know, that was where, like, you know, I thought, oh, man, this guy can hit. He can hit. So now I know what it's like to really been hit. I think he was like, I think like you, Banks, was there just, just a little bit behind Joe McKellen hmm. in power. He's got a lot of power. Got a lot of power. Yeah, but no. But he's ugly though. Anyway, he's got a lot of power, but he's ugly. I can't get that in. Sorry. <laughs> but no, he. Uh, you know, it was it was, a, it was an excellent fight, like I say. And uh, you know. yeah, I've always, I've always, you know, as much as we we didn't get, and I've always got so much respect for Chris. Got so much respect for him, man. You know. And I mean, it's it's nice to be able to to be away from him, you know, and that without him, I, I, you know, we had over. 47,000 at Old Trafford, over 18.5 million people watching us, and over half a billion around the world watching us. Wow. What does that say? You know, so, so you know, having a rivalry like that, you know, and we, you know, we, we had so much the opposite. He'd, he'd go and buy an Aston Martin Volante, then I thought, oh, you're going to buy that? I'd go and buy um, uh, Bentley Azur, then he'd go and get his suits, and then suits fit him like a glove, oh, I thought I'm not going to challenge him because this man's the sharpest dress I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After that, <laughs> after that fight there, Nigel, obviously you return to the ring. Uh, your call five months later, you become the first man to stop Robbie Sims when you did him in in seven rounds. Oh, oh no, no, oh no! Didn't I? Who was Kid Milo? Kid Milo was after Robbie Sims. Oh really? Okay, right. right sorry, sorry, I was jumping the gun. No, but right. I knew better than you. <laughs> but yeah, you moved up to super middleweight to to give that a try. Uh, that's when you boxed Kid Milo. Did you want to jump in there? No, well, yeah, well, I think really and truly, I, I think um, I want to get back to Robbie Sims really because I think at the end of the day, he was Marvin Hagler. That was really the first southpaw that I really fought because I, I hated fighting southpaws. I just liked staying away from southpaws. I, I can't stand southpaws, you know what I mean? They're horrible people to fight. But being honest with you, I thought to myself, I, I want to go straight back in there. I don't want to go back and fight all like, you know, I want to fight people up there. So fighting um, um, Robbie Sims, I thought, well, I've got to prove myself, prove myself again. So I went out there, didn't want an easy fight. Went out there and done a number on him as well. I don't know if, he, I don't know if he's been stopped. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I know he's just like a tough Marvin Hagler's half brother, so you know, and he's very disrespectful anyway. Mm. Yeah, didn't really like him. Didn't, uh, didn't really like yeah, him. Yeah, no one ever stopped him in his entire career apart from you. So really, yeah. 
Go on, the Dark Destroyer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You got any more good news to tell me? <laughs> I like I like providing the facts. It's, uh, I like surprising yeah, people. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant, mate. But, um, I, I, you should give me all this, I can say, because when, when Connor wins his world title, I'll say, oh, what I done here? Did you know? No, I never stopped it. I know Aaron Bartley. Do you know what? Um, you know, just to go through all these things that you've been telling me, unbelievable. I'm going to give him. Unbelievable. I'm going to give him all to you, definitely. But um, yeah. But yeah, after. Make you sure. Make sure that you give me this interview so I can send it to my son. A million percent. <laughs> That's what I need to do. Send it so I can send it to my son. Say, yeah, son, listen to this. This is what your dad done. These are the ones that were, were, were never been stopped before. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, you you put we got a good me and Connor we got a good rivalry, but we love each other so much. No, it looks brilliant from the outside looking in. And you decide to move up to super middleweight, like we say. You put together five wins against Kid Milo, Lindsay Morgan, Hector Lescano, uh, Dan Sherry, and Talani Malinga before having to travel to. Oh. And we'll come back to Malinga. Well, I think I think yeah, yeah, yeah I think we. Uh, let me just go mm-hmm. on Malinga. Mm-hmm. Malinga. Is my bogeyman? Yeah, I think so. Because even the first fight, close. the decision could have gone his way. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because I had home support. Well, that's honest. Do, do you understand? Yeah, that's honest. I'm going to tell you that the truth that it was mostly because I, had, and that was the first night my life changed. I'd done something that I've never done before in my life until after that fight. I was so upset with it. I started doing, I done something wrong that night because of that fight. That cha- that changed my whole outlook on life, that fight with Sugar Boy Malinga. Someone gave me something, and it, ch- it changed me as a person. Do you want to expand? Oh, I don't want to push you. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That was the first day someone gave me an ecstasy tablet. And I never, I never, I, I, and that was the first night. It was after the the Sugar Boy Malinga fight. I was like, oh, I think, oh mate, because I, I felt bad that I, I don't think I really won that. And so I went, one of my friends went, yeah, mate, yeah, just, just put that. I didn't know what it was. Mm. I didn't know what it was because I, I like to be honest with anyone. I, there's, there's no, I, I, I'm an open book. Everyone knows about my life, my drug addiction, my sex addiction. It's not, it's not one of these kind of things. I'm a born-again Christian. My life has changed. But you know what? These, these are the facts. That was the first time I ever had an exit and it changed my life, my whole outlook on life. And from that time then, I was addicted. Mm. Just from that, just from that fight. As soon as you mentioned Sugar Boy Malinga, it's like the Lord saying, tell them what happened. And that is what happened. My whole life changed. My whole... Everything of my life changed. I became addicted. Never done cocaine. Everyone thought I'd done cocaine. All of all of people around the gangsters I was, they all done it. But it wasn't my thing because back in the day, going back, Joey, how old are you, Joey? Twenty. Oh, I'm trying to think myself. Twenty six. <laughs> Just a bit older. Right, Twenty six. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. Twenty six. Right. Okay. Well, if we we go back, it was like back in the day when I was twelve years old. I, all we black guys know how to do was smoke a spliff, and that was it. That's all we could afford. We weren't into cocaine like what they'd done in the, the stock market, the Wall Street, and all them kind of guys. We didn't have that kind of money, so I was always scared of having, like, doing cocaine. It wasn't, wasn't a black man's drug. And then someone come and gave me this little pill, and that that was it, how my my life changed from there. So, you know, a lot of people thought I used to do cocaine. Never, never do it. Too scared to do cocaine. I've seen so many people lose money. 
and I never had to pay for drugs. But that was where my life changed, you know, to get in a nutshell, to choose Jerry. Mm-hmm. That time, that was it. And from that, from the time I took one, I was addicted all to until I um, retired. Wow. Yeah, that's no, because you know what it is. Pe- people don't want to try and pretend they live this clean living life. You know what? And I, I tried to, but I had an addiction that kind of just took over my life because I, I was there was so much that we can go in away actually away from Bogdan suffering with depression through the death of my brother from the age of eight. My life changed when my brother was killed by racists back in 1972. So all my life from that time there, something in my heart was severed. So my whole life changed. I was angry from an eight-year-old until I became a Christian when I was, oh, 48. Yeah, so so there's so there's so much to it. It's not just it's not just about boxing. And the only way that my life actually was saved is by me joining the army that gave me that discipline. Mm. Because otherwise, I would, I could have been over six foot under or in a mental hospital. Joe. Yeah. So there's so much to to where I am now, to where I was before. If you understand what I mean, it's not just it wasn't just about boxing. It was just so much how my, my, my life was affected from an eight year old boy. Who was that? Yeah, 40, no, 45, 45, 45, 46. My life changed. So there's, there's so much. I know that you, we, we just want to talk about boxing, but there's, there's, there's so much more. So when you mentioned like Sugar Boy Malinga, it just made me want to spill the beans. Well, not spill the beans. I ain't got nothing to spill. It's my life. I want to tell people what my life was really about. Because I suffered all through my career, would you believe, with depression. And then finding out later on in life that I had bipolar. <laughs> wow, where did that come from? How you got bipolar? Because every single day, even to this day, I train twice a day every day. Every day without fail. And, I, and that's with my bipolar, which I'm on medication. And it's so funny, I'm not scared to mention it. It just puts me, I have this thing that I just have to train. I just, not, it's not a bad thing. It's actually not a bad thing, you know, because I, I was suffering a lot of depression for, I don't know, it was just, I was just depressed for a lot of a period of my life. And it was only when I became a Christian that I kind of had to deal with certain things in my life. I had to deal with the unfaithfulness to my wife, not being a good father, cheating on my wife, you know, uh, 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 doing drugs. I had to deal with a lot of issues in my life in the death of my brother, who I loved. You know, so there was a lot of things that I, I never dealt with as a child that I was only dealing with now, wow, as I got older, that I started dealing with a lot of these things. So when you talk about boxing, Joe, it is absolutely so much more than me just talking about the fights. But now, uh, you know, we can get back to the fights, but I just really want you to go understand that the life that I lived wasn't an easy life. My life wasn't much different than Mike Tyson's. Wasn't much different. It was just the same. I was always in the papers. So sleeping with this girl, sleeping with that girl, doing this, doing that, doing this, hanging out with the gangsters, hanging, doing this. So it was just a crazy life. The only actually time I had peace, Joe, is when I was training. That was the only time when I was training. Oh my gosh, I was just I was I was in ecstasy. I was just like you know, not <laughs> bad word. I'm trying to use another word. <laughs> yeah, another word. Yeah. I was in my element when I was training because I had that discipline from the army. I had that discipline from the army, so I just, I just loved it. I just loved it. And as soon as I come out, it started popping. 
popping pill, and that and that was it. And sometimes it got so bad, Joe. It was like, oh yeah, quick, quick, let me just bang him out. I just want to go out and party. That was it. That was it because it was like the only way I can actually describe it to anybody. Have you watched the film Madagascar? No. You ever watched the film Madagascar when when the when the lion gets shot in the butt with with, with the dart and he goes he sees all stars and everything that, and he's, he's out of his mind. That's what I was like. I can relate to him. <laughs> so weird. But you know what it is, Joe? I can laugh about it now because I come through the other end. Yeah, you did. Do, do you understand? I come through the other end. Yeah, you did. It, yeah. A lot of people there that were still stuck in. The people that I was out partying with, they're still there now. Oh, my gosh. I could never see me out. I don't go to clubs. I don't even go to wine bars or anything. Not that I'm against it. It's just, like, just, just not me no more. But I've, I've had that life. You know? It's like, but I've, I've come out the other end now. I'm sitting here in my mansion, watching my big screen TV with my wife, still with my wife after, after nearly 30 years, and yet I'm more happily married. Now I'm doing everything. I know this is not about boxing, but I might as well get it off my chest while I'm here. Go ahead. <laughs> it's like now what me, what me and my wife do, we go around, we work for Hillsong Church, where we help men that are struggling with a drug addiction, sex addiction, depression, suicide, all these kind of things that we try and help people with. And, and when I first came to, to Australia, then when I started with a church, I used to go around just driving around, delivering food like to people that ain't got food and, you know, that got like six kids, a husband left them and all these kids. And I'm driving food around. And you know what? I enjoy that more. I'll go and visit people in hospital, praying for people. One guy, uh, um, a guy from Thailand, he, um, he, he just flew back to Australia and he, he passed out. He had a blackout, but nobody can understand why he had a blackout. And, and no one didn't know how long he was lying on the floor. And they got him into hospital anyway, and they, they wanted me to go down and pray with him and, 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 and talk with him. But he can't speak English, and I can't speak Thai. So then what happened, he, he went to me, he needs a shave. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, this reminds me of my dad. My dad dad couldn't sh- say, God rest his soul, before he passed away. I remember I was in hospital shaving my dad, and now I'm in Thailand shaving this man who can't speak English. His daughters know who I was, but he, he was putting his hand up to say that, oh, you, you box and all that. But it was just nice that I was able to help this man that I don't know shave, speak with him, pray to him in English, pray, pray, pray for him in English. And then next minute, I'm then taking food to another family that, uh, whose husband's left them. He's got, she's got six kids. I've got to deliver food. So I started off doing small things. Delivering food, and I don't mind doing that. This is the two-time world champion, but I have more enjoyment out of doing things like that than when I was boxing because it, it seems that everybody was serving me, and that's been it's nice to be able to go out and serve other people. And the joy that you get, you think, wow, what a blessed day that I've had. I'm here to help somebody. These are the things that really kind of take me take me away from the dark places that I was in for many many years. I have more joy in doing that than ever being world champion, because you know what it is. I get joy. I get joy out of doing that. Right now, that's all off my chest. Let's go back to boxing. <laughs> Before we return to, it, I just want to say, Nigel, because yeah. you know, being being happy, and I say this to everyone I speak to, really, being happy is 
really one of the most important things, if not the most important oh thing in the gosh. world. So if, if, if this gives you happiness and, you know, at the same time yes. you're giving them happiness, everyone's winning. It's yeah. a beautiful, healthy thing, you know? It is. It is you, you can't be that because, you know, if you feel like you, you're doing something very productive in your life. Before, Joe, it was all about me. Um, if I'm a smoking spliff, chasing women, upsetting my wife, Connor and them seeing what, how I put their mum through. So that was a dark place that was in for... We don't have that now. My wife don't even... You know, for many, many years, 16 years, I was unfaithful to my wife. And I told her everything about it when I became a... I, told, I confessed everything. But yet now, she don't even think... Because she, she don't know that man anymore. She has a different man. She's the man that she's proud of, the man that's doing the job what, what God called me to do to help these broken men. <clears throat> and so that's why she has, we just have a great laugh now. We don't even remember the path. Good. And now what we're doing, we're, we're trying to watch out over our son, make sure he doesn't follow the path that I do, because there's a lot of temptations out there. And we've got to make sure that we, we protect our kids. And I remember Connor saying to me, <laughs> we ain't gone back to boxing yet, but I remember Connor saying to me with, with so much disgust, Connie used to say to me, and because I used to hurt his mum, not physically, but mentally, yeah. he said, I'll never be like you. And he screw up his face and said, I'll never be like you, Dad. I'll never be like you. I'll never treat my... And he was only like, he was only like 14. And I thought, oh, you little cheeky little... But it was true. And it used to, it used to angst me. It was like, you know, in my stomach, I could feel that. And what he was saying was true. And I thank God my son is not like me. I thank God that that we've raised a, a lovely boy. Mm. You know? Oh, that's beautiful, man. That really is beautiful. Yeah. That's, that's, it's so nice to hear this. Um, yeah. Returning to the boxing, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I promise I won't change the subject again. <laughs> you can do what you like, my friend. Trust me. i got all the time in the world for you. But, um, yeah, yeah, after the Malinga fight, obviously you travel to Lazio, Italy. You fight the, the WB... Oh, you fight for the WBC super middleweight. Mario Galvano. Mario Galvano. Mauro Galvano, yeah. Um, he ends up retiring on his store after three rounds. He tried to he tried to yeah, sneak his way did. out of it, didn't he? Of course he, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, headbutt me. Yeah, you only think that your headbutt was my right hand. <laughs> You know, that was it. And you know, I've got to thank Barry Hearn for that, mate. Got to thank Barry Hearn for that, mate. Barry Hearn stood his ground. And then, he, and then, then I looked over to my right. Who do I see sitting down there? Chris Eubanks there. Sitting down there. So, yeah, now we can get it on. Now we can get it on. So he's following me around. Because now he's got, like, he's got the, the third division belt. And I've got the premier belt. <laughs> Yeah, I was gloating, really, to tell you the truth. How did it feel you know? to be, you know, to be a two-weight world champion here? Obviously, you mentioned about a WBO, the British board, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, recognise <sighs> it. What was this like? Was it, had you, had you kind of had that feeling like you've already been a world champion, or was it something new? No, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm going I'm to answer that question later on, because then it, then it will fall into place, because it's something that, how, how did it feel? I'll I, I, I try and answer it this way, and I'll answer it again at the end of, at the, end of the, the, the chat we had. It was like, I was just in the... Because they were trying to, to, to nick the belt off of me. It was like I was so kind of peed off. I thought, you know what, work, work my butt off of this. Because I was actually meant to fight him in England. And they said, no, no, you've got to fight in, in, in Italy. Because you know in Italy, you know, you can knock him out and you might get a draw. 
So, um, so I thought to myself, they're going to try. But Barry Hearn fought all his way for me, mate, and I thank Barry Hearn for that because without Barry Hearn, I would not, I would not be WBC, WBC champion. Yeah. So I, I was really over the moon. It was like, and it was so funny, Joe. This is, this is going to make you laugh. At that time, she was my girlfriend. I said, I said to, I said to Caroline, I said, yeah, I've won, I've won. Oh, great! What did you win? I won the fight. I'm oh, well done, well done. I'm WBC champion. Oh my gosh, you're not, are you? She never knew nothing about boxing. <laughs> WBC. It was so funny. She, oh my gosh, yeah. She, she just, she just lost the plot that I became world champion. She didn't know. <laughs> and that's another thing. She kept me quiet. She kept me quiet for two years. Nobody knew I was seeing my wife at that time. My girlfriend. Because she didn't want people to think that she changed because she was me. She kept me quiet for two years. Wouldn't let nobody know that she was seeing me. For two years. <laughs> that must have been Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's another story. That's a whole other subject. That it really is. Okay, okay. But yeah, you had, a, you had a quick turnaround. You know, you were back out two months later in London defending the belt against Nicky Piper. You got him out of there in the 11th. Tell us about that one, Nigel. Uh, that, that, do you know what it was? He's the, when, I, when I saw Nicky Piper, right, I thought to myself, this white guy has the baddest physique, man. He had a bit physique better than mine. He was ripped to shreds. And, and I thought to myself, and he can bang some Nicky Piper. And what it was, he kept on leaning back. He just hooking me with a long left hook. And Jimmy just said, get inside, work downstairs and break up the body. That was the only way that I was going to beat him. And I started bashing away at his body, bashing away at his body, bashing away at his body. Kept on bashing away. And I was hitting him hard. I know he's got an IQ of 150-something. I know when he left the ring, mate, he had an IQ of about 10 when I finished with him. <laughs> he, was, he was tough, though. Yeah, he he was. was tough. But I just... Sometimes you just know... You know, you, you just know, you know, you know that you're going to beat people. You just know... But it had to be Jimmy Tithcham was saying, now go downstairs, start working his body, break his body up. And that's what I've done. So I changed it. Cause I, I'm going to try to uh, have a six-foot-two guy. I couldn't do that. Mm. You know? Just broke him up downstairs. But that, that, was, that was a good fight. I enjoyed that very much. Yeah. And like we said, it was a quick turnaround. Only two months after coming back from Lazio. Um, your next fight, you, you travelled to Glasgow, March the 6th, 1993. That rematch with... Uh, with with Galvano, this time it goes a distance. You win unanimously though over twelve. Uh, what do you remember? Yeah, about but it's that? so funny. The last the last punch, the last round, he caught me with a shot, <laughs> and I got all wobbly. <laughs> oh my god! And they thought he was like, hey, yeah, he's jumping out like he won. It's like it's only a, one punch that you give me, all right? You nearly, you hurt me. So I wasn't ready for that. I remember, yeah, I remember that. But I mean, yeah, it was another easy fight anyway. It was an easy fight. Yeah. And, and three months later, you defend against Lou Jen at the, the Kensington Olympia. Uh, you had him down yeah. five times, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lou Jen, he he was up for the fight, but the difference is you got to understand he might be because he's really a cruiserweight, and he got all the way down to super middleweight. And um, but by that time, you see, I, I'm I'm a small super middleweight. I'm not a big super middleweight, but I pack a lot. I pack a, a big punch. Mm. So he, so I'm, I'm not making the weight. I'm not really struggling, but he's got to come down from cruiserweight to light heavy to super middleweight. Yeah. 
you know, that's where he was like really a cruiserweight, but he came all the way down, you know, and I know for a fact, he didn't even hurt me, he was just winging punches in, but I know when I was hitting him, I was hitting him hard, I, I, I knew, I knew it weren't going to go the distance, I just, sometimes you just know, and you know, and you know, you know, I, I didn't feel none of his power at all, I didn't feel none of his power, he came to have a fight, which, 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 Lou Jent's a lovely guy, but just, just weren't in my league, to tell you the truth. Yeah. No, definitely. Not not being disrespectful. No, not at all. Yeah, no. And and then we get to October ninth of nineteen ninety three. You touched Henry on Henry Wharton. Henry, uh, that comes after this. Oh wait. This comes after this. This is we, we're now at Old Trafford. You touched on it. Yeah. Uh, the unification, obviously, for your WBC and his WBO. Uh, this time, the fight would end in a split draw. A lot of people thought you nicked it. Nigel, a lot of people. I didn't nick it. I won it. I didn't. I don't nick nothing. <laughs> I win. I win things. <laughs> I win things. <laughs> I don't nick things. I win things. <laughs> Tell yeah, us you know that. what it is. You know, they said, and uh, uh, Larry O'Connor said, like, you know, you deducting the point. Look where his bloody shorts are. They're up around his neck. How can you? How can you take a point off? Look where his shorts are. They're right up to his chest, and he, he, he deducted the point, and we got a draw. But you know what it is, being honest with you, Joe, you, you know, you can have, like, there's been much more worse decisions than mine. Mm. You know, as long as I've got that belt around my waist, I've still got a million pounds. Yeah. So, you know, so, so that was all right, a draw. But you know what it is? I, I still feel one, but I, I, I take it. I'd rather take a draw than a loss. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He went on and went and done these things, and I went on and done mine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they were just trying for the first fight, but... I think it was just too long gone now. Too long gone. Yeah, definitely, man, definitely. Yeah. But, yeah, you, you jumped forward there. Your next fight, um, obviously, next defence was February 26th, 1994, against the undefeated Henry Walton. Uh, unanimous decision win for you in Ells Court. Uh, Henry Walton, I think, was a little bit of an underachiever, really. Um, but, yeah, tell yeah, us Yeah, no, us no, that. no. He started, he started coming on about round six. Hmm. Round six, seven, and I already had it in the bag. Yeah. You know, I already, and he started giving me some body shots, and I remember, I, I remember coming home, man, and I was urinating blood for three days. Oof. I remember urinating blood for three days because he's powerful, but he started late. He started late. If, it, it could have been a different fight if he attacked me early, but I knew he was powerful. I knew he was strong. Sometimes you got, you can, you can. Uh, Mixed fire with fire, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I just didn't feel like it. I just didn't feel like me. I thought I was just going to kind of box him, move him, and bash him without, without having to have a war with him. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you've got to be like that, and then sometimes with other fighters, you just got to have a war with them. But I knew I could have a war with him because he had a good left hook. He had a good left hook, and he started late. I think around, around seven or eight, he started. But that, by that time, bye, bye, too late. You missed it. Yeah. And then he fought Eubanks, didn't he? he? got another hiding. Yeah, I mean, he was tough, though, you know? He never got stopped or anything. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, I love Henry, mate. Lovely guy. Yeah. Lovely guy. And that, that card in particular as well, that night at Earl's Court, um, who's who of names on that card, you know? Um, I don't know who was on there. Oh, boy. So you have Michael Nunn on the card. Um, Steve right. Little. Against Steve Little, yeah. that's right. Yeah. You had Lloyd oh. Hunnigan. Uh, you had Oliver McCall oh, really? on the card as well. Oh, wow, I didn't know. Dennis Andrews as well. Oh, wow. 
That was a real good card. <laughs> oh wow! Yes, I'm serious. That's man. a shocker. But, That's a shocker. But yeah, moving on. Your next defense came in September against former two-time world title challenger Juan Carlos Jimenez. Uh, Jimenez obviously been in there with Mauro Galvano. He's been in there with Chris Eubank. Do you remember much about that one? Oh, it, right. That was in Birmingham, wasn't it? That one was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, now that was another guy that I weren't going to mix it with. Do you know what? It was just like, it, oh, I remember I was hitting him. He was, oh, come on, come on, come on. That's what he said to me. I thought, oh, okay, you're one of them kind of guys. <laughs> he was the only one to say, come on, come on. Like, he didn't feel none of my punches. Jesus. He did not feel none of my punches. His nickname was The but, Bull. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he was like, yeah, he was just like, I don't know. I think Joe Kawasaki smashed him, though. I think Joe Kawasaki smashed him a bit. But when um, I thought me, it was just like, yeah, yeah, come on, come here. That's what you said to me. I thought, oh, no, 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 not, not today, mate. No, no, I know what you want. No, nope. because he was just, his, his head was like a size 10 football. It was just, yeah, it was just, it was, it was just big, man. It was like really, I thought to myself, how in the hell can you make super middleweight? It's like light heavy, like cruiserweight. He's just big, thick, set. And my punches were just bouncing off of him. Ping, ping, ping. He wasn't feeling them. <laughs> I think he was the toughest person. It was like Jorge Amparo. They were just tough. Yeah. They were tough. They're the people that you just throw punches at that and, and you're not even putting a dent in them. Yeah. So sometimes you've got to be smart. Yes. Some people you can you can have a fight. Or some people are just going to ping you and move. They're just going to ping you and move. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what he was like. But he was very tough. Very, very tough. One of the toughest people I fought. Yeah, he could punch a bit as well. Yeah, he can. Yeah, so he, he had, he, he, yeah, I think he, he had about oh, 50, 50 fights or something like that. He had, a, he had a long record, mate. Yeah, in the end, he ended up having 62 wins, 42 KOs. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean, see? Yeah. See, that's like where you got some going, come on, come on. No, not today. <laughs> I'm not having that. <laughs> Just want to get you out of there. <laughs> and then we... We arrive at, at, at February the 25th, 1995 in Millwall. Uh, you take on former two-time middleweight world champion Gerald McClellan. Uh, you knocked out the ring in the first round. You were down in the eighth, yeah. although I think the hook that you missed him with, yeah, you, it was yeah, largely punch, the yeah. reason that, that you went down. Then, yeah. of course, McClellan takes a knee twice in a tenth. He allows himself to be counted out. Obviously, the events that followed a fight were, were, were tragic, but the fight itself was one of the most, as the commentator said on the night, one of the most electrifying fights in, in, in British yeah. history, really. Talk us through yeah. the fight itself. Obviously, it was a brilliant one. Uh, no, I'd be honest with you. It all started, it started, this is how it all started. Don King said, fight Michael now, but we're going to take 100 grand off. And my agent, my agent at the time said to him, no, no, he ain't taking no money off, he's the world champion. And he said to my agent, if we don't, we're going to bring over mini Mike Tyson, mini Gerald McClellan. And you can just imagine how I feel. I mean, I, don't, you, I, I, can, I, I would fill up a swear box because the way that he feels that I'm going to back down for this man, thinking that I'm scared, like a lot of guys, okay, I'll take the fight. I don't work like that. I'll fight literally anybody. Anybody you put in front of me that's under 12 stone, I'll fight. And so when he said that, that just really got my goat up. I think, no, oh, 
oh, oh, oh, if you don't fight him, you're going to fight Mini Mike. Tyson. Well, bring him on then. Like I give him the effort. Like I really care. You bring him on. That was my attitude at the time. And then, um, and if you watch the end of the fight, watch Don King come over to me. Yeah, you made a believer of me. I said, yeah, you only brought him over here to bash me up. Watch it. I told him straight to his face. He knows at the end of the day, he don't want to fall out with me because at the end of the day, he knows he's bringing a good crowd. And he he paid me what I wanted to pay. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't try and scam me or anything. So yeah, I ain't got no problems with him, but don't think that I'm gonna I'm gonna back down. You're gonna bring in Mini Mike Tyson. Who cares? Bring him on. And that was my whole attitude. You know, that was my whole attitude. So they think they're gonna bring in Mike, Mini Mike Tyson. There's no disrespect to Joe McLean, but he came over here, and I think he was very disrespectful to my dad, saying like, you know, I'm gonna hurt your boy. That's what he said to my dad at the press conference. And my dad said, you gotta do what you gotta do. That's what my dad said to him. And I thought to myself that, and that kind of really gave me the right hump that day when he, when he talked to my dad like that. That, you know, and, he, and I think he was just cocky. You know, I didn't wish that on anybody, but he was just so cocky, so full of himself. You know, and and, um, and being honest with you, I was not scared whatsoever. I, 100% I was not scared. Because you watched the first round come out, and I looked at him, and I thought to myself, I looked him right in the eyes, stared him out, giving that, and then afterwards, like, you know, I looked at him, he just looks, just, just a skinny guy. That was it. Didn't, didn't frighten me whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, I felt his power. And my gosh, it was like he hit me up in, the, in my head, man. And I went out, and it was like, and I remember looking up. I thought, I'm on the floor. <laughs> and then I got up. I was all over the place, all over the place, all over the place. And then like. I went back to my corner, and Denny Mancini, God rest his soul, he moves my trainer, Kevin, out of the way and says, look at the state that you got him in. Look at the state that you got him in. And I'm like, what? Really? Okay, okay, okay. I said, ring the bell. Watch the second round. Watch the second round of that fight. I'm chasing him around. Something's happened in my head now. Something in my subconscious has happened in my head because I don't remember me backing up. He was hitting me with everything. I didn't care. I'm chasing him around now. He's not chasing me. I'm chasing him. Yeah, what? Come on. Bang, hit me. Yeah, boom. Yeah, bang, hit me. Yeah. So what? Come on. My whole attitude changed. I mean, in, in one round, you've got to find this round. There's a punch that I throw at him, right? It's a right hand, but you can actually, the speed and the power of it, it kind of mostly broke this guy. It must, Because I hit him so hard, I think it's the hardest punch besides Dan Sherry that I've ever hit somebody with a right hand. And it shook him up. And I think that was, that was the beginning of it. That was the beginning of it. But I wasn't in the right frame of mind anyway, so don't think I'm... I, you know, I was going softer and anything, but I mean, I I just wanted to destroy him. I wanted to annihilate him. I didn't care. When he put me down in round, round eight, it was a half-slip punch. I remember I come out through a right hand and uppercut left foot and thought, when you come out for round nine, you got more of that. Mm-hmm. I did. I, it was something in my subconscious that I don't remember. I don't remember what actually went on, but I know for a fact that I was actually hitting him hard. And I know his gumshoe was hanging out of his mouth. And, and you got to understand... 
he was a bully in the ring. He used to chase everybody down and break them all up, break them all down and break them. But now the tables have flipped. He moved straight from light middle to middle and into super middleweight. It takes you about six to eight months to adapt to the weight. It don't happen overnight. And the guys that you was blown away at middleweight and, and light middle, you can't do that at super middleweight. These guys are much more stronger. So at the end of the day, um, I I just knew I had it. I just you know in my at the after round when he went down, Danny Mancini said, "Look, he's half swallowed." He said, "He's half swallowed." He said, "Look, he's half swallowed," and that was it really. Being honest with you, it was it really. I just knew that for a fact that I was hitting him hard, and I remember I put out a right hand. I threw a right hand over the top of his guy because he was like he didn't punch. And he had his hand out, and I went bang, was straight with the right hand over the top, and did an uppercut. And that's when he went in the corner. And, yeah, again, you know, while the fight lasted, it was an excellent one. Um, you know, especially, like like we say, the first round, you're out the ring. And, I, I you know, you watch that yeah. back, you think, whoa, you know, you're taking clean shots. You look like you were gone at one point from the yeah. camera angles yeah. behind you. Then you're back, and then, obviously, you win the second round, you come out the third, and it was just, yeah, just an electrifying fight. Um, you know, I, I don't want to obviously touch on it too deeply, but I can imagine no, it must have... Yeah. Um, no, no, it didn't affect me whatsoever. Mm. No, this is not. This is not about that. Oh yes, no, never affected me whatsoever. Mm. Never affected me whatsoever. I was in my own arena. I was in my own issues in my own life. Mm-hmm. My own unfaithfulness to my wife. My own depression. I was sudden. I wasn't thinking about him. Mm. I was not thinking about him. I had my own worries to deal with. I had a son born four days older than. Then my twins, I had my own issues to deal with. So I wasn't really thinking about uh, uh, Joe McClellan. Not at all. I had a lot of issues I had to deal with. I want to ask, though, Nigel, you say about, obviously, and you said it, you know, your life changed, yeah. you, you took a pill, and, you know, everything. Yeah. During this point here, when, you know, you are conscious, even though you've got your own problems going on, you're, you're yeah. aware of what's happening with him, and, you know you're taking pills at that time. Was was the pills kind of doing you good at that point or doing you absolutely terrible? I, I was... No, no. I was... No, I went, while I was fighting, while I was fighting, I stopped taking them. Yeah, no, no, no. But I mean, no, when you find out the but, seriousness of his, you know, after the fight, um, that he wasn't obviously very no, well. No, 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 no. Because it, I'm, I'm not being... not being... Trying to be... They brought him over here to bash me up. The first thing in the News of the World paper, the first thing that... The, um, the McClellan family said, we wanted Ben dead, now we want his money. Go and F yourself. Mm. So you think I'm going to worry about that? Mm. Oh, we wanted, ben de- we wanted Ben dead, now we want his money. Go and F yourself and go and look at your promoter, Don King. He's the one that brought him over to bash me up. Don't look at me. You're not getting a penny from me. That was my old attitude. Don't come over here and say, oh, because now the tables are turned, that, oh, we wanted Ben dead. Didn't say, like, well, we wanted... We wanted Ben to really, really lose the fight. No, we wanted Ben dead. And you think you're going to get it? Oh, God, oh. See, you've you got to understand, it's not like they're, they're coming over and they're like, you know, they're, they're, they're lovely people. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? They're coming over and say, we wanted Ben dead. Now we want his money. This is the same guy that fight pit bulls. They lose. What did he go and do? Shoot him in the back of the head. This is, this is the kind of guy that he is. 
This is the kind of guy that he is. But you know what we've done? After 12 years, I've not seen him. What do we do? We go and put on a big show in London. What did me and Kevin Lucian done? In Mayfair, in London. Black guys don't do that. Being able to go and do a big show in the Mayfair at the Grosvenor household. Two of us. We had all the EastEnders stars. We had all the Coronation things. We had all the celebrities there. And we raised a quarter of a million dollars for him. Did anybody do that? No. We done that. Regardless about how I felt at the time, I still have empathy for him. And you know what? I thought, you know what? He, I wish, you know what? I'm gonna, oh, thank you, Lord. You know what happened? His son wrote to my manager, wanting me to help him out while he's boxing. His son wrote me a letter, wanted me to help him. That's, that, that, this is not too long ago. And I can give you my agent's number and you can see the letter that come from his son. I was shocked. He knew I never meant it. Hmm. He knew I never meant it. Yeah. But his son's a lovely boy, but me messed up because he didn't have time with his dad. Hmm. So there's a, there's a big circle. There's a big. Oh, it, it just doesn't end with one one person. It doesn't end with me. It's, it's his family. His his son at the time. So there's so there's there's, there's so much. But he knew the risk, you know? Yeah. And so, 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 so there was a lot involved, but yet we still made a quarter of a million dollars. This is after his sister um, wanted to go and um, tell a story saying that, you know, we found blood on Joe McClellan's boot and it had um, steroids in it. Oh, my gosh. I actually said that. I actually said on the documentary, you know, the fight of our lives. I said, like, if you said like I was smoking, sniffing, taking it, I said, yeah, I put my hands up. But it's nowhere in God's green earth you're going to say that I, I, um, I, I took steroids, uh, um, anabolic steroids. It's just not who I am because it would make me feel like I don't know if you know who Ben Johnson was. Do you know Ben Johnson? Doesn't ring a bell. Oh, Ben Johnson, who raised Carl Lewis in 100, 100 meters from Canada. Oh, gun watch that, you understand? He's, you know, he's, he's built like a big toilet. <laughs> and, he, you know, and he was, and, and he was, um, and he got down for drugs and he was like the first one that, first one that went down. And so it was like me looking at all the British public that backed me all through my career, loved me through my career, helped me through my career, and then find out, oh my gosh, my hero has been taking drugs, anabolics. I couldn't do that. How can I look the British public in, in the eye and know that I was a cheat? If they said, you, oh, he'd been smoking spliff, well, that's not going to make him any more fear. Oh, he's been taking it, he might make him buzzing. But do you understand? That that was my limit. I'm not going to go and do, do um, anabolic. It's just not who I am. Not who I am. No. You know, so when his sister said all these kind of things, I said, hold on a minute. And we actually got hold of Don King to say, like, you know what, this is what she said. And you know what? He put a stop to it. He put a stop to it like that. So do you understand? So these are the kind of people, money-hungry people. I raised a quarter of a million dollars. I didn't have to do that, but you know what? It, it was what was in my heart. And yet you come after I'd done this and brought you over to England with Joe McLennan to raise money for him and saying, what a special manner. And then next minute, two twos, <laughs> you're sending me a story and saying, like, you know, oh, yeah, he was pretending that he he felt this way. He was only, I can't, you can't act something like this. Oh, you man. can't act, you can't pretend that you're, you're crying because, you know, when you actually sit down and meet Joe 
and he's talking to you, and he's saying, the, how's he, how is it he's up to his sister? How is it? You have to shout in his ear because he can't hear. He's like 8% deaf and in a wheelchair. And, like, and he was saying like to his sister, how is it? It's, I know he didn't really mean to do it. I know he didn't mean it, but he was saying it, and it was breaking me up because I was crying inside. I had to get out from doing this show because it was like, I just couldn't take no more because now you're looking, you're holding the man's hand and you know that you've done it and it's really affected you because now you think every word that he says, because he's not in the right frame of mind, it's turning like a knife inside and you're like, oh my gosh. And I had to leave. I didn't want to stay around because I wasn't in the right frame. Because now you've actually, when I when I was when I was horrible, when I was already in my own dark place, I didn't give a monkey's about anybody. But now I become born again. My whole life is changed. I'm not that same person. So when I'm actually speaking to him, it's really hard. Because I'm not that person that didn't like him. I'm a person that loves him and just really want to see the best for him. So your whole, the whole attitude is changing. So when he's saying these things, asking his sister, how is he? Does he feel, does he look sad? I know he doesn't mean, didn't mean to do that. And I think, oh my gosh, oh, oh, it's like, oh, and I actually thought, I just had to get out. I actually left. But it was nice to know that I've raised a quarter of a million dollars for, for this, this young man. You know, and then like his sister come out and didn't want to write a bloody book and saying like, you know, that you found, do a story about it. And then the book was going to come out that I, you know, that I, um, I wasn't really what I was. I was just faking. How horrible! How horrible! Would you do instead of saying, you know what, thank you, thank you for helping my son out when you got all these multi-millionaires, not one of them that was donating money. He had to get these two street boys from from Ilford in 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 in. And, and, and from South London to come and put on a big show in um, at the Grosvenor Hotel in Mayfair. It doesn't happen. You can speak now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, so I appreciate you going into to, to that much detail. But going back to the fight briefly, obviously he had you down yeah. twice. You were such an exciting fight because, you know, you, you'd get knocked down occasionally. You'd get back up, then you'd put them down. Yeah. Your powers of recovery were, were frightening. Would you agree that perhaps your powers of recovery were perhaps one of the best we've seen? You'd get up, you didn't even look yeah, hurt. I did, I, yeah, but I, don't, I didn't really... Um, the only time I really struggled to really get up was against Michael Watson because uh, my tank was empty. But besides, like, you know... Getting up off off the ground, yeah, I, I, I'm okay. I, I I could, you know, because I weren't I weren't I weren't tired. I wasn't tired when he put me down in round eight. I wasn't tired because I came straight back on. So I didn't, I, you know, I I I can't say. I have to let the British public decide that, not me. It's not me. Oh yeah, I'm okay. I'm, you know, yeah, my recovery is good. You know, just you know. Can't blow me out, trumpet. I leave it to you. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was really good. <laughs> but five yeah. five months later, you're back in in in, in the same venue. Uh, this time, defending against Vincenzo Nardiello, Nardiello. the uh, yeah. former yeah. European yeah. champion. He went on to become WBC world champion after. But I know. Can you believe that? Yeah, crazy. You managed to knock him out yeah. in eight. Do you remember much about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, it was just an, it was another easy night. I didn't, it was no problem, it was just like a horrible fighter, can't, can't punch, couldn't break an egg. Yeah, cause no, no power whatsoever, just like, just like typically telling running around, you know, 
it's, it's, I didn't feel nothing. It was yeah, no power whatsoever. No no power whatsoever. Just just he's one of the kind of guys that want to try and nick the fight. Not coming to really have a have a tear up. He, you know he couldn't have a tear up with me. It was an, it's actually an easy very easy fight. One of the easiest really. Tell you the truth. Yeah. And your final successful world title defense came against Daniel Perez. You become the Perez, the yeah. only man to ever stop him, um, as well. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you telling me a lot of good news, man? <laughs> I'm pleased. But yeah, you get rid of him in the seventh round at the Wembley Stadium on the Bruno McCormick. And he, he can. I, I'll be honest with you. He can punch. Yeah. He can punch. He dazed me. He can maybe. Had a couple of buzzing moments in there, to the truth. Yeah. No, yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh... Oh, he didn't have. He, was he, like, didn't... Oh, he, was he was like. He was like. Um, he only had five knockouts. Jimenez. He what? He only had five knockouts, you know. Yeah, but it still buzzed me, though. Yeah. It still buzzed me. Fair enough. Yeah. But no, he. Yeah, uh... Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> You're the only person to, yeah. to, to, to stop him. He only fought once more. After that, anyway, um, he got a win and uh, and retired. But anyways, yeah, um, yeah, it was on obviously the Bruno McCorn the card, like we say. Six months yeah, after yeah, that, yeah. we're now in March of 1996. This is where you have the rematch against Talani Malinga. Uh, you know, the same yeah. guy you'd, you'd you'd beaten on points four years prior. Yeah. This time though, yeah. you'd lose a split decision in Newcastle. Tell us about that night. No, the night you lost being, to WBC. Being honest, it, it wasn't. You know what? And I think that was being that was being kind. What happened, I'll be honest with you, Joey, what really happened, I trained harder for this fight than any of my fights ever because of what I thought about what happened last time where it was a close decision. And what happened, I peaked too quick. When I fought him, uh, I'm not trying to take nothing away. He was my bogeyman. Yeah. And I remember he was hitting me, but... I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't read him. And then he threw a right hand and it split my lip. And I actually felt my lip split. I actually felt my lip, I've got a big scar on my lip now. I actually felt my lip split. And I was thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be a long night. I wasn't, I wasn't myself. I left too much in it, too much in the gym. But not taking nothing away from him. He was just like my, my, my bogeyman. He would mostly beat me nine out of ten times. He'd beat me. You know what I mean? He was just one of them people that, you know, that was... I just... I couldn't read him. You know? It, 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 it just one of them fights. I can't say any more than that. It was just like one of them kind of fights that, you know... Uh, that, um, that I couldn't... That I weren't going to win. I don't know why. You put me in someone again like Joe McClellan again, I'll win because he's going to come and have a fight with me. But Malingo is just one of my, my bogeymen. That's all I can say about him. Just hmm. one of my bogeymen. Yeah. But no, yeah, he, 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 actually, was... he, actually remind, he actually reminded me of um, Winston Burnett, who I fought twice. Okay. That's who he reminds me of. Okay. And then obviously, 
Now comes your last two fights, which obviously took place in July and November of 1996 against uh, against Steve Collins Steve both Collins. times for his yeah. WBO. First fight, you couldn't continue during the fourth because you'd fallen awkwardly on your right ankle. The second, you retire on yeah. your stool at the end of the sixth. Not the way, obviously, you'd have wanted the story to end, but Did, give us a yeah, word. Yeah, but being honest with you, I actually bet 100 grand that I'd beat him. And I think if I've got a bit of 100 grand for me to beat him, then there's something wrong. I've never done that before in my life. Mm-hmm. But I just knew for a fact I was, I was dealing with, not taking that in away from Steve, please understand, not taking that in Steve, because me and Steve, I remember when he, oh, we was in um, oh, Belfast, who was fighting Carr, I think he was fighting Carr, we were there, and we were talking, I said, yeah, come on, Steve, let's, let's get it on me and you, you know? And I think it was really like, you know, for the next two paydays, really, my heart wasn't really in it. Not taking nothing away from Steve. I didn't want to go out like that. But it just, I tried to, I tried to fight, but it just wasn't me. Just wasn't me. It wasn't the man that got in the room with Eubanks. It wasn't the man that got in with Joe McClellan. It wasn't the man that got in with Iron Bartley. It wasn't the man that got in with Doug DeWitt. It wasn't. But I was trying to, try to, catch it all back but it was Steve's night not going to take that away from Steve not going to not going to try and belittle him he prepared like the champion he was a good fighter strong fighter and obviously you retired in the ring right afterwards um, after the second fight um, I want to I want to ask you this as well because obviously you know yeah. four fighters came through kind of in the same sort of time um, obviously yeah. you and Eubank and, and Calzaghi yeah. a bit after and Collins yeah. at your absolute peaks all four of you how would you rate from the best second best to third best to fourth best I, I think Joe Kawasaki better than yourself and then yeah that's honest yeah yeah, that yeah. Have been some like, you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't knock a man with an undefeated record. Yeah, you can't. You know, and I'm not. You know, it's just like me saying like, well, Carl Foch. But you know, that's a, that's a, that's another story. But the difference is, it's um, when you, when a man's got undefeated, he's been there with the best. When Joe when Joe fought somebody that was rubbish, he'd box rubbish. When he fought somebody that was good, like when he gave Jeff Lacey a hammering, a hammering, made him look like an amateur, made him look like he should be in the same ring, that, that, that's, that's class. That's class. And I think, you know what, it, if, if I fought Joe, he would know he'd been in the fight. He'd know he'd been in the fight. And Because you know, one thing is with me, I, I try and, you know, I try... All I know, he would know that he's been in the fight. I don't know if I'd win, but I know that he, you know he get the best out of me, and I get the best out of him. Yeah. So I, I, you know, so when you got a guy that's retired, undefeated, I'm um, blemished record. You can't really like you say, okay, yeah. Well, I would have done this. I would done. I don't know what I would have done. I know he would have been in the fight, but I know I think I would have been second on the list at my prime. Okay. How the three and four work? What? You didn't, you didn't, you didn't expect that, did you? No, not really. I'm quite, I'm quite surprised. But you know, why is that? Why is that? Why, why, why would you be surprised? I just think if you went into that fight with him, and you know, you could put it on him early and turn that into a, turn it into yeah, a fight, yeah. turn it into a typical Ben yeah. fight. Jesus yeah, Christ! Yeah. If you pull him into a dog fight, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, I've seen him been put down a couple of times. But yeah, but you, what you do is you don't blow your own trumpet. You're just being being realistic, tell you the truth, yeah. Joey. Just being realistic, mate. Not, not. I think because now that I've retired, 
I can kind of sit back and say, well, you know what, if I win or lose, you know what, it would have been a great fight. It would have. Yeah. Do, do, do you understand what I mean? And then you, you look at it, he's been there with Kessler, he's done good, he's been in with some good fighters, he's been in with some rubbish fighters, but when he had to step up to the plate, he done. He done so. I done so. I'm happy. Do, do you understand? It's only when men don't feel comfortable in themselves. I feel very comfortable in myself, and I like to speak honest. I don't like to give out any BS or whatever. I just, you know, he would be in the, Joe. No, he would have been in the fight. Mm-hmm. That's all I could say, Joey. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. How did three and four yeah. work out? Um, I'd put, put um, with Michael Watson in there. Yeah, see, I, I think you know. I actually yeah, forgot. Well, well, I actually Mike, forgot to include him. Said, yeah, uh, no, see, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, my apologies. I said, yeah, Collins yeah. and... and yeah, yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think, you know, because I, I've got to say, well, once I've got the experience, it might have been a different fight. Mm-hmm. Because I think my, Michael was very smart at the time I come, because I was still raw. I was still wet behind the ears. Do you understand? Yeah. And I mean, to go like, you know, I think six rounds in, at, at a novice state, he had me, but, you know, as I went on and started learning my trade, it would have been a different fight with Michael. It would have been a different fight fight with um, Steve Collins as well. Because, you know, I've been in some good fights and at that time. I was, you know, and I'll be honest with you, um, Joey, it was a lot to do with my private life that kind of brought down my career. Mm-hmm. My private life. That's that's what really kind of ch- changed everything, the... the the uh, the direction of, of, of my career really because I had too much the only time I actually had peace was when I was when I was training but you've got to understand sometimes when things affect, affect you in your training because you know regardless about I'm training you're still thinking about your wife thinking about your kids is she going to divorce you so you've got all these kind of things going on oh my gosh you've got so much going on in your head is she going to say to you your kids leaving you you know so you've got so much that you're trying to to deal with it, so it wasn't if I, if I was happy at home. I mean, not happy. I'm always happy at home. If I was faithful, I I could have been in a better better position. But it was always I always started something. I always it was always me. Do you understand? It was always me. So it was, there was so much that was actually going on. There was so much that was, and that's why I was making a comeback because you know. Because I had peace in my life now. <laughs> and I'm more fitter now than ever. I have no sniff, no XC, nothing. No, I've been training. I train twice every day. I can actually send you over when me and Connor went to Harley Street. They do this, this test on you. I've got, I've got the results here, and I can show you that. I'm not even giving you no BS. They put the strap, all these straps on you, put the mouth thing over you, the oxygen mask over you, whatever it is. Oh, no, 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 oxygen mask. And you ride the bike. And... They said, if they said, like, I've got the fitness of a 45-year-old, like, 50 or 50, yeah, 50, 54 or 55, if they said I had the fitness of a 45-year, I'd be happy. If they said I had the fitness of a 35-year-old, I'd have been over the moon. But when they said that I've got the fitness of a very fit 25-year-old, I said, don't talk BS to me. And they showed me the report. This is in Harley Street, not 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 Backwood Street. This is Harley Street, and they showed me how fit I was, because I didn't realise how fit I was. Because, like I said, with my bipolar, I've been training like twice every day, and I do, and I wear a lot of my my um, 
oxygen, not mask, my altitude mask and ride my bike, like the Tour de France riding. So these are the kind of things that made me want to come back because I had no stress. Do you understand? I don't have stress like I had as I had in boxing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I was going to make a comeback yeah. until my shoulders played up. So sorry, where so so we were going through the five the five names. Yeah, sorry, mate. <laughs> you yeah. had Kazaki yeah. number excited one. Sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah. Kazaki number you. one, yeah, you number two, three, four, and five between Watson, Collins, and Eubank. What do you think? Yeah, I think Collins, Eubank, and Watson. Okay. That's a good list. That's a good yeah. order. That's yeah. a good order. Yeah. And coming. I feel, I'm only. I'm talking about in my prime. You know, I'm not yeah, talking no, about definitely. a man that's. I'm not. I'm, to, I'm talking about a man in the prime. My prime of my career. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And coming down to the last few questions, Nigel. These yeah. are um, pretty kind of quick ones. You won't have to think too deep about them. Uh, which? Why not? I like thinking quick. <laughs> thinking deep. <laughs> what what win out of all the wins in your career, all, all all forty-two of them, would you say was the most satisfying win? Gerald McClellan. Gerald McClellan. Okay. Yeah, answers win. Nothing comes close, especially when everybody had me to be knocked out within round one to three. Nobody gave me longer. Only one person had me to win, and that was um, Ken Gorman from the Star. I think he's passed away now, but it was Ken Gorman had me, the only one that had me to win in round 10. Yeah. Ken Gorman. And, go on, sorry. Yeah, Yeah, because it was like um, everybody had me to lose. Yeah. So so, so to win that fight was, you know, was amazing. was amazing. And obviously, you know, you could punch, you could punch, you know, yourself, you could whack yourself, but who would you say was the hardest puncher you ever faced in a pro ring? I told you already. Yeah, I think you were the answer. Joe McClellan, by far, there was no one. There was like there was like a, a big gap between him and Eubanks and everybody else. Yeah, there was just a big gap. There was like you know a big uh, a big big gap between them. He was completely different. He was, he was in the league of his own. Yeah. Then Eubanks came. You know, and even some other. I've actually been stung a couple of times by people that weren't even. That weren't even like you know, good fighters, but I still got stung by him. Mm-hmm. You know, but Eubanks, I felt Eubanks' power. Yeah. And was there anyone that you wish you'd have had the chance to fight, but never had? You know, never ended up fighting. I'm excited to hear you answer this one because obviously yeah. there's. I I think I would have loved to have fought um, James Tony. Which I actually watched James Tony. He was actually a very classy, classy fighter. Very good fighter. But I would have liked to have fought James Tony um, and Roy Jones. Yeah. But I think Roy Jones would have been ahead of the fight. I would have to. I would have to sting him early. I would have to get in there early. I would have to just put it on him. Because I know he goes if you put it on him. But it would have been hard because he had, you know, he had power. He had a lot of power. But I would still have a go. No, that those both of those fights are mouthwatering. Oh boy, it would have been beautiful. Yeah. And um, I want to ask you this as well, and this is again a question I ask to everyone when we do these types yeah. of interviews. If you could go back and change anything, have you got any regrets at all of anything you did in your boxing career? I love it when people say no, I've got none, but I don't know what you're going to say. 
Well, no, the other thing that I, I, I regret doing, but it's not to do with boxing. Yeah. You, you know? can talk about that. If so you it's. Um, pardon? You can talk about that if you want. Yeah, well, the only thing is I just wish I was faithful to my wife. That's the only thing I would want to change. Yeah. That's the only thing in my life that I was faithful to my to my wife, like my dad was to him, to my mum, to be able to know that I was a faithful husband. That's the only thing, other thing else, you know, you deal with everything else, but that's the only thing I was saying, like, you know what? So that my son understand that was faithful to, and my kids understand that was faithful to their mum. That's it, nothing else, nothing else. My career was, you know, like I said, Joey, it was, um, I was happy to just be like a Southern area champion, mate. <laughs> with three, three bedroom terrace house, me little BMW, BMW 320. Yeah. That that that's it. That was it. So we are now sitting in this oh, what is it? Six, six bedroom mansion, five bathrooms, theatre room, swimming pool, two acres of land in Sydney. Oh my yeah. gosh, half half paid for cash. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting here. I ain't got to work, and I ain't been working since November the ninth, ninety six, when I retired. And I'm just sitting there, just enjoying life. I'm living the life. I'm living a life, not an extravagant life, just a nice Christian-based life, and it's absolutely beautiful. Not chasing nothing. Not chasing nothing. Driving around in my Toyota CHR, but I'm happy. I ain't got to drive around in my Bentley, my Bentley, my Ferrari, or whatever. I'm just happy in my skin. Before, it was always about what materialistic stuff that I had. I love having a lovely home, because my, my home is my castle, and that's it, but... But besides that, I live a, my wife gives me pocket money every every month. But I'm happy with that. I'm happy with her running running my affair because if it wasn't for her, I'd be skinned. Yeah. I'd be skinned. You know what I mean? But with her, you know, I, I can live a good life because of what she, what she's done investing the money in. So I'm okay. I don't I don't need nothing. I just want to continue to do the job that God's called me to do to help these broken men. Wow, what more? And I'm living the dream. Watching my kids and now watching my kids, my son Connor excel now, and, and you know, in carrying on the Ben name and, and knowing that he's doing a great job, doing an absolute great job. I mean, they said this guy was going to be a test. What test? What are you talking about? You know, and, and he's only just started, he's still wet behind the ears. 20 amateur, amateur fights, and yet look where he is. He goes, destroy the guy who was the IBO champion, just been in with a two-time world champion, and, and, and Connor destroyed him. So, you know what I mean? So, Connor's in good hands, and so now I just watch my, I pass the baton to Connor, and he's running with it, mate. Don't need no help from me. I just sit at home yeah. and enjoy it. And, and you know, I asked you earlier on if you're a happy man. You, you, you know, we touched on that. You're a happy man. You, you touched on, again... You know, you, you train twice a day. Obviously, you've been out there now in Australia for a long time. What else do you kind of get up to on a, on a day-to-day basis aside from training, Nigel? What keeps you busy? Talking to men. That, 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 really, that, that really is. That, that's really... Because we're going through this COVID period now, what I do, I, I speak with men that are struggling with all kinds of issues, really. Uh, uh, um, Jerry, that's some, some men with anxiety, some men with a drug addiction, some men with, like, you know... Um, certain other issues in their lives that they're struggling with. And I think because I've been through a lot of these, God, I believe God's given me the blueprint to help these men, help these Christian men that are going through stuff because I can't help a man that's, that's got a worldly outlook on life because he don't understand the same things that I understand. 
So it's not just like anybody I talk to, because if I start talking about Jesus, it's like, who's Jesus? What are you talking about? I don't understand. Okay, bye. So it's really hard. It's only has to be, a, it's really like Christian base. If a man wants to really have a change in life, who really wants to change in life like I did, he'll accept any feat that I offer him, you know, to tell you the truth. And at this present moment, it seems to be working well. And I, I, I try and meet them once a week or once every two weeks. It all depends. We just sit down there. We'll have read the Word of God. Or, 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 or we just pray and ask him how, how his day's been. What's your struggle? What, what's the problem? And then we, we talk with this stuff that we break it down and everything like that. And that's where I get my enjoyment. And then when I come home, well, no, tell a lie, I do my bike ride first. Then I come home, pick the kids up from school, and then I go and do uh, my weight training. So it's all formatted. Everything's all formatted. Yeah, good, good. It's brilliant to hear that. It's, it sounds... But really am I happy good. now? But am I happy now? I am happy. Yeah. I have peace. That's the most important thing, Joey. I have peace in my life, buddy. Yeah. No, that's brilliant, man. You deserve it. You certainly deserve it. And just Thank finally, you, Nigel, if you've got any closing words just to our listeners before we let you go, obviously it's been tremendous having you on for this amount of time. And uh, yeah, oh, it's been. A well, I just, say, I just say, I just say, thank you for for the people that listen and they support me. I just want to thank you for for what they've done, they support me all through my career. And I think now, I just pray that you pick up the mantle and follow my son in in, in giving the same um, encouragement that you lot gave me. So thank you all, the British public, and. Um, people around the world that have been following me following my career now take out that mantle and follow my son in watch him grow like you watch me grow in my career yeah well said and listen Nigel it's been nothing short of a dream come true doing this interview with you that's brilliant Joey thank you so you much let for... me speak. you let me speak you let me speak and that was nice sorry if I went on a bit but that's that's just the way I am <laughs> thanks so much for walking down memory lane with me and being so generous with your time God bless you and I hope we can speak again and in the you, future God bless you Joey take care mate well, there we have it. This wraps up our Christmas special boxing podcast, also known as episode 271. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest this week, the former two-weight world champion, Mr. Nigel Benn. What a complete living legend he is. That's definitely one of my best interviews ever. Wow, oh wow. But that's about everything from myself. I want to thank you all for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you've all enjoyed it. A lot of other boxing podcasts have course have stopped during this period but we carry on going and i cannot think of a better guest to give you for christmas uh in 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 the year of 2020 other than a british boxing legend it's been a tough year for everyone of course this has been our gift to you remember to send in your lists as soon as possible to ensure that they're read out on next week's podcast remember to tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast take good care people and we wish you all a very very merry christmas